Hey everybody, before we get going today, I just wanted to let you know how much we appreciate your support here for the podcast. Even after all these years, we're still having a lot of fun and we hope you are too. But behind the scenes, man, I'm still doing my first love. I'm helping people save money at SaveWithConrad.com. And that's really why I started podcasting to begin with, to help listeners nationwide, just like myself, wrestling fans who knew where they wanted to be, but they just weren't exactly sure how to get there. I think most of us have the same goals. We want our piece of the American dream, right? We want to own a home. We'd like to pay it off if possible, maybe one day a vacation home, but we certainly want to help our kids. We don't want them to be saddled with student loans. We don't want to be drowning in credit card debt. We just want the peace of mind of knowing that we've made the best decisions for our family. And that's what my family is dedicated to doing over at SaveWithConrad.com. Don't take my word for it. Check out our reviews, ConradReviews.com. Check out what my man Nicholas up in Lexington, South Carolina wrote. He gave us a five-star review and he says, Francis, Larry, which is my dad, and Holly were great to deal with and answered questions I didn't even know to ask. I tried to refinance over a year ago and wasn't able to. In that year, my debt only increased and I wanted to give it another shot and I'm so glad I did. Your team not only got me a lower interest rate, but saved me $800 a month in credit card debt while keeping the same monthly payment. My credit score has also jumped 92 points in less than two months. I highly recommend using SaveWithConrad.com for your refinance needs, or you can be an undercover hillbilly and keep overpaying. Well, I appreciate that. I don't want you to keep overpaying. I want you to keep more of your own money. Thanks for the five-star review, Nicholas. We greatly appreciate your support. And guys, we're licensed in more than 40 states. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. If we can't save you some cash, we won't waste your time. Punch it in your phone right now. You'll be glad you did. It's SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. All right, it's time to talk about Steven Singer. Not many people know this, but Steven Singer started out as a jewelry and diamond wholesaler, selling nationally to other jewelry stores. So why did he open his own store? He saw other jewelers focusing on the wrong things. The jewelry business was about playing pricing games just to make a buck. Steven wanted to help people celebrate love with diamonds. He never wanted to be in the jewelry business. You heard right. He's in the love business. Steven Singer is the love store. No, not the sex toys and jelly type of love store. It's the place to buy real diamond jewelry for your real love. Steven has been in the love business for over four decades because he knew he could deliver better quality jewelry at a much better price and treat people like friends, not paychecks, no gotchas, no sales, no hassle, just easy and fun. The smartest way to buy jewelry and diamonds for the moments that matter most real diamonds from a real jeweler. You can trust call chat, text, zoom, visit his showroom or online. at I hate Steven and I got to tell you, this has been my experience. I've been a friend of Steven Singer for many years now. He's been a long supporter of our show, but also my love life. Whenever I need something, I hit up Steven. Steven's a guy that I know, like, and trust. And I'm telling you, if you're looking for real, if you're looking for love, if you're looking for trust, you can't miss Steven Singer. That's I hate Steven Singer.com.
Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? So good, I almost feel guilty. Well, I'm glad Quite. you. I'm glad you I don't feel guilty. I don't feel guilty. Man, I am uh, excited to talk to you today. Uh, we're going to do something a little different. We've been going down memory lane, if you will, talking about the good old days of WCW and the formation of the NWO. But today we're going to deviate and we're going to talk about TNA No Surrender 2011. But stay tuned because next week we have something very special planned. I don't want to spill the beans yet, but uh, it's going to be pretty fun. But before we get started today, let's talk about what's going on right now in 2021. This is arguably the most important week that AEW has had in a long, long time. They're making their New York city debut at Arthur Ashe stadium, which to me is maybe the most perfect looking venue that wrestling could have that we haven't had wrestling in before. It just blows me away. We've never seen a major show there or any show that I know of. And on top is what was once upon a time, a dream match, Brian Danielson and Kenny Omega, and it's happening on free TV. And they just announced it last week. And all I could think was, Hmm, that sounds familiar. Goldberg, Hulk Hogan, Nitro. And people were critical of your decision back then and said, Oh, you're giving away the pay-per-view. Of course, the game has changed. And these days it's all about television rights. And you would argue, uh, I think you call it, uh, was it, what do you say? Motherfucker? No, not uh, mucker, mucker, father, mucker, father. <laughs> we were a TV company back then. Nothing's changed. That's all. I, that was an internal dialogue I had, but you and I haven't talked about it until I just clicked record. So what say you, or what do you expect out of AEW's New York city debut? And what do you think of this big dream match happening on free TV? Well, first of all, I was completely unfamiliar with the Arthur Ashe um, stadium. I was up until recently, obviously never been there. We never worked there. Um, and it just, it was like, I didn't even know it really existed to be honest with you. Um, you had seen it a million times on TV. You might just not have known in the U S open, but you never think wrestling venue, right? Right. That, and I, you know, like, and I'll, I'll watch the U S open. You know, there are certain tennis events that I do like to watch. I'm not a tennis player or anything like that. I don't follow the sport, but I enjoy watching game of tennis, right? I, it's a, you know, a strategy. It's obviously athleticism. It's, I just, I love watching it, you know, but, and I only tune in a couple times a year, but I never pay attention to the venue. It doesn't matter to me. And the way tennis is shot, typically you don't get the wide sweeping panoramic views of the venue, the way you do in, in other sports, um, at least not often. So I was kind of, it was like off my radar. I didn't think about it. And when I heard that AEW was going to Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York, I thought, well, hey, it's friggin' New York, man. If they're going to, they're going to do a big event in New York, that's going to be a good move because it's New York. It kind of helps brand, you know, the product in a, in a big way. And then I saw some video and some stills of Arthur Ashe. And I went, my God, this place was built for wrestling. This is a perfect venue visually. The way the seating is and the design of the venue and the bowl, it's got that deep kind of bowl look. It's like, damn, that's going to be sweet. So kudos to the team um, for choosing that venue because it was a really, it was a brilliant choice. 
number one. Now let's move on to the, they should have saved it for pay-per-view. That was a lot, you know, that was the narrative. Where did that start? It certainly didn't start in Turner Broadcasting. Right. It certainly didn't start within WCW. It started in the wrestling internet community, or internet wrestling community, driven primarily by people like Dave Meltzer, who just had to pick a part in, you know, do whatever they do, do anything he could to criticize me or WCW. Um, that's where all of that started. And it, it built over the years that narrative, you know, everybody went, yeah, they should have done that, right? People don't really understand the business, even though when they, they even though they think they do sometimes. But it, you know, it's been a, it's been a thing. You know, it's one of those things I get hit with pretty regularly. You know, in social media. Yeah, but you gave away Goldberg, Goldberg and Hogan on TV. You're the reason why WCW died. That was a perfect example of why it died. All because of the internet wrestling community. Now, fast forward. First of all, let's before I fast forward, it fucking worked. Yes, we were a television company. Turner Broadcasting's primary goal was television. Yes, they wanted to make money in the process. Obviously, they did. But when given a choice, pay-per-view or TV, 99 times out of 100, it's going to be put it on TV. That's the driver. That's why WCW existed from the very fucking beginning was because Ted Turner believed that wrestling would bring eyeballs to the network. Read his autobiography. Anything that you read about Ted, you don't have to believe me. I don't really give a shit. But if you do any amount of research, that's one of the reasons why Ted believed in wrestling. Not because he liked wrestling per se, although he did, but because he understood that it would attract eyeballs. And early on in, in Turner Broadcasting's history, that was his first and foremost goal. And that continued. So now here we are in 2021. You've got a new company in AEW. You've got Turner. It's obviously, this is not the same Turner. This is Warner Media. None of the executives, I dare say, probably none of the executives, high level executives that are in. Turner today were even probably out of high school <laughs> at, at the time, you know, we were there or college at least. You got a whole different set of management, different set of circumstances. Everything's different except for one thing. It's still a television company. Well, you know, television rights are the largest, you know, line item yep. in, in, in WWE's, you know, quarterly SEC statements. That's where the majority of their money is coming from. It's television rights. In AEW's case, that's definitely the case. Nothing's changed, folks. The only thing that's changed is how people write about it because of their relationships and, and, and their proximity. Nothing's changed. It's the same. And I think it's a great move, by the way. Congrats, Tony Khan, for having the balls to do it. And for following in my footsteps. I'll listen to you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it was the, the, the template was built and 
here are some of the mistakes. Here are some of the downfalls. Here are some of the things that shouldn't have happened. Great. Let's take those things out of the formula. Right now, Tony Khan is doing a great job. And, and as I say Tony Khan because he represents the company, but you know, Team AEW is doing a great job. They're making great decisions. They're, they're, they're building anticipation and then delivering in, in their execution. How can you pick that apart? You can't. So I think putting AEW on the map, making the commitment. You know, we, we go back, and I know we're going to be talking about TNA here in a little while, eventually. <laughs> but th- this is a perfect time, though, to, to make a couple comparisons because there's some very similar parallels between TNA and AEW. One of which is TNA, and to a large degree, Spike TV, because they were they paid for it most of the time, bringing in you know ex WWE talent. You know, you know better than I do. Probably you've covered this stuff more than I do, but you know before Hulk and I got there, Dusty Rhodes, Booker T, Kevin Nash, pretty sure Scott Hall dipped their toe in the water at TNA. Sting, Kurt Angle, Jeff Hardy. Come on. Yeah. Those were, if you go back and look at time, those were names that were on par with some of the big names that have been brought in recently to AEW. So TNA wanted to bring in those big names to try to establish themselves as a legitimate viable. And when I say competitor, I don't mean that they were necessarily going to try to beat or outperform WWE, but they wanted to be in the same conversation with regard to advertisers and pay-per-view companies. They wanted to be in the game. They wanted to be playing on the same field. They didn't want to be playing over on the high school football field while all the good games were going on, you know, over, over in the big venue. Right. They wanted to be on the same field. So they brought in those big names. Here's where they made a mistake. And we'll talk about this. They didn't, they didn't commit beyond that. You know, they had Spike TV, Viacom, who was willing to pay the freight for that top talent in many cases. Certainly in my case and in Hulk Hogan's case. And as I found out subsequently, in a lot of other people's case, like Kurt Angle and others, that was Spike TV making that commitment, not TNA financially, Right. TNA wasn't willing to do what Tony Khan is doing. TNA wasn't willing to commit to the live event. TNA was so happy just to be able to to produce their show inside of a soundstage because it was really cheap. And they didn't care that it was the same 500 people every fucking week. And there were 15 people that you would see at ringside on every episode, you know, doing the same, this is awesome chance. Whenever that chant would start, they would all run around and slap themselves on the back and each other. And they thought that was, they were going to pop champagne when the show was over. Cause you had 15 or 20 people starting at this is awesome chant. In the meantime, it looked like their show, even with Booker T, even with Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, even with Sting, even with Kurt Angle, even with Jeff Hardy, you, the names, there's probably more names I'm forgetting. It felt like you were wrestling on a game show set. And they didn't make the commitment that Tony's making. Yeah, bring in the talent. Absolutely. Yeah, I did that. I support that. It's 
a logical move in my part, in my opinion. But you've got to make a commitment beyond just bringing in the talent. I used to tell Dixie all the time, I don't care who you bring in. doesn't fucking matter. You could bring John Cena in. You could bring Undertaker in. You could have him, you know, ascend from you know, or descend from the sky in a fucking helicopter, drop him in the middle of the ring. And people will be excited for 48 hours. And then it'll be the same old thing because you're not making a commitment to take the show on the road and to tour it in front of a live audience. It's a combination of the talent and the presentation of the product that gives the product credibility. It's not just the talent. And Tony has made a commitment and he's got a vision and it's working. So I'm excited. It can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late to find yourself at a railway crossing waiting for a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not even there, you may feel a bit tempted to try and sneak across the tracks. Well, don't ever to the naked eye trains often appear to be further away and moving slower than they are. And they can't stop quickly. Even if the engineer hits the emergency brakes right away, it can take a train over a mile to stop over a mile to stop by that time. It's too late. And the result is a potentially deadly crash. The point is you can't know how quickly the train will arrive. The train can't stop quickly. Even if it sees you, it ends in disaster. And if the signals are on, the train is on its way. And you just need to remember one thing. Stop. Trains can't. It's a pretty exciting time to be a wrestling fan across the board. You know, it's not just... Uh, maybe the biggest dynamite ever this Wednesday, but the biggest probably rampage since the whole CM Punk debut, a two hour special this Friday night, but on the other channel, some big stuff happened. Uh, after our 83 weeks dropped last Monday, big E became the WWE champion last week on Monday night. Raw. He announced that How he cool was cashing that? out or cashing in rather. And boy, he walked out with some new hardware. I've been a big E fan since he was in NXT. Uh, we've made a joke on a lot of our podcasts about Clint from Hershey. He's my real life, lifelong wrestling friend. And, uh, he put him on my radar back when he was in NXT doing the five count like King Kong Bundy. And so we followed his career since and just been big fans and really glad that he has this opportunity now. And it was a special moment, man. I'm sure you saw clips, even if you didn't get to see it live. And you've probably had an opportunity to interact with Biggie a little bit during your cup of coffee back up there. And just wanted you to sort of talk about Biggie this morning. Cause man, what, a, what a moment I, I was, I didn't get to know Biggie very well. We interacted, you know, we talked, um, certainly informally, you know, nothing about business, just getting to know each other a little bit. Um, amazing athlete. Number one. He's a guy, and it's not just because he's big, right? I mean, he is a he's a big human being, right? But when he walks into the room, something else walks into the room with him. And that that's magic. He has he has a level of charisma and energy, not to you know get all new agey and cosmic, but I do believe that people carry an energy around with them. Yeah. I see it, I notice it. Someone can walk into the room and you can tell that maybe they don't have a lot of confidence or something's 
bothering them, you know, over, overwhelmingly so emotionally, or they're compensating. That's the one that's the most obvious to me. They're overcompensating and trying to create an impression that's not really who they are. It's, it's human nature. We all see it every single day in, when we interact with people. And then there are those special people, of which I think Biggie is one, that when they walk into the room, the energy is so positive that you forget how big he is because you're, I'm just speaking for myself. I react more to a person's presence, energy, whatever you want to call it. I look for, you know, how do I feel when I'm, when I first meet a person, how do they make me feel? What do I see in them? And Biggie's one of those cats that when he walks into a room, his energy is so positive that you want to be around him. You just do. And it's, you know, maybe subconscious. He's just got it. And um, I'm happy for him, obviously. Even though we're not, fr- when I say we're not friends, it's just we've never spent a lot of yeah. one time together. Yeah. We're friendly, but not friends. Um, you know, when you see somebody that's come up, and you can only imagine, you know, we as, as outsiders, including me, you know, we all have a pretty good idea how tough it is to make it to the top in WWE. But what we don't know is the frustration and the self-doubt and the anxiety all along the way. You know, we only see what we see on television. We only know about a character or, or a person who plays a character based on kind of what we read in their social media. You know, we, we don't drive around with them and hear them as they're coming up and being frustrated and convincing themselves or having others convince them, just keep your nose to the grindstone, just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. We've all heard the, that kind of support from parents and teachers and coaches and friends, but it's tough. And, and life on the road is incredibly tough. So to see a guy that has all of that charisma and the physical talent, I'm not dismissing that. I mean, amazing physical talent. That, that's almost a given at the level that Biggie's playing at. You have to have that. Right. But to see a guy that's come up from the bottom and work his way up through that process, which we all know, and we hear about from people that have been through it on a regular basis, how frustrating and grueling it is. I can tell you firsthand, you know, when I was in WWE, one of the things that amazed me, you know, my last run as, as, as an executive, one of the things that amazed me is the people that would line up outside of Vince's office on TV day, TV day. And it wasn't just that the long was the, the line was long, but they would be there for hours waiting for that opportunity to get in and have five minutes with Vince. Often they didn't, they didn't get a chance to, and you'd see them walk away and feeling just like, Oh, why even try? What, what, and I'm sure Biggie probably went through a lot of that, but he stuck to it and he stayed positive and he kept doing the work. And whether you're friends with Biggie or you're a fan of Biggie or somewhere in the middle, like me, Seeing someone succeed that's had to go through what you know 
is such a grueling journey to the top. That makes me more excited than anything. I'm really, really excited for him. And I'm excited for the people around him because Big E will be a leader. He will be an example because he stayed positive, because he kept doing the work. And he didn't let a lot of the obvious things that everybody has to go through, and some more than others. He didn't let that slow him down. He didn't let it get in his way. He conquered that. He conquered the hardest thing he'll ever face in the wrestling business, which is the journey to the top. There's nothing harder than that. The rest of it is easy compared, but good for him. Kudos, my man. Awesome moment. Besides, his name is Big E. How could you not love that? I do love it. And I'm super happy for him. It's a, it's a major moment for WWE. By the way, they've got a super match tonight on, on Monday night raw. It's a six man tag that I don't think a lot of people maybe thought they were going to get. So stay tuned. If you haven't already, uh, a lot of fun stuff happening in wrestling. Oh, one last thing this past week, we saw the, uh, the recast, if we will, of NXT, it's going to be called NXT 2.0. Uh, so they're sort of uh, resetting the format and the formula. I suppose I had a chance to catch it. And one of the first matches I saw was Rick Steiner's son. How about that? Did you have a chance to see Rick Steiner's son debut? And if not, I'm going to twist your arm and make you go watch that. Cause, uh, looks like his dad dresses like his dad's going to be fun. No, I, I, I did watch it. Um, and I was, cause Rick Steiner, Robbie. Steiner's real name, but Rick Steiner's, you know, I've talked about this before. Rick's Rick is one of my favorite people from that period of my life. And we're still good friends. You know, we don't, again, we don't chat all the time and all that, but Rick and I became pretty good friends in WCW. We became very good friends after WCW. I've had one of the most amazing experiences in my life. Um, it was Rick and I going up to, uh, Northern Yukon, like you could hit the Arctic circle with a Frisbee, not to sound like Sarah Palin, but, um, we went up on a, an, just an absolutely incredible uh, elk and moose hunt up in the Yukon. And it was f- amazing. But anyway, so happy to see it. I got some fucking issues with the Braun breaker thing. Terrible fucking name. I mean, <laughs> Hey, and listen, I knew that Bruce was at your house. Last week, yep. I knew he was kind of like laying low and recharging his batteries and all that. So I didn't want to, I kept my mind. In fact, the only thing that I said, and I really, it was challenging for me. as on social media when, when it happened. It was like, I try. I really, really try. Oh, that was about the name? Yeah. Well, listen, yeah. here's the deal. Uh, just so you know. I have no problem. You've seen, I have no problem needling Bruce. And so when we watched the show, cause we did get a chance to watch that together and I'm probably betraying confidences here, but I said, dude, he was born with the best name ever Bronson Rex Steiner, just call him Bronson Steiner. And it feels like a wrestling name, but Braun break. And here's the thing. Maybe that won't be his name when he makes the main roster. But I mean, I think what we saw last week. It might not be his first match, but we aren't too far past it being his first match. Like if it was that fun, 
this early, that dude's going to be a star, dude. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And listen, I get the part. Let's talk about the business of the wrestling business for a minute. Um, I get that they didn't want to call him Rex Steiner. Yes. Because his real last name is Rex Steiner. And everybody, you know, nothing lasts forever. Relationships generally don't last forever, especially business relationships. You have to kind of plan for the inevitable. Sure. And I understand why they would want to protect their intellectual property and give um, Bronson a real character name that they had control over. I don't like that, but I understand it. It's a fact of life, whether I like it or don't like it, whether anybody likes it or doesn't like it. The truth of the matter is in the business that the WWE is in, and in AEW, you're in the entertainment business. You have to protect your intellectual property. I get that. But they just cut a guy by the name of Braun. Yeah. That's the part I don't get. Yeah. The breaker part, yeah, that's kind of like video game kind of mentality. I get it. I know why they would do that. I Well, I understand it, but I still hate it. But the, the Braun part of that, the Braun breaker, after they just got rid of Braun Strowman, Man, that's the part that got to me. And I wanted to, I just wanted to go batshit fucking live it on Twitter. And I went, no, no. Then you're just like everybody else. You're on the outside taking pot shots from the sideline. Don't do that, Eric. You're better than that. Your buddy Bruce is sitting with your other buddy, Conrad. <laughs> and they're going to see this. And I don't want to be the cause for anxiety and anger and Anything. I don't want my favorite part is you think Bruce has Twitter on his phone. He wouldn't have seen it. Oh, he doesn't tweet away. I I, I, know. I believe it. He doesn't have fucking time. Well, no, he used to, and he'd get fired up and call me and I eventually just said, Bruce, why do you care? Just delete the app off your phone. And he did. So his, he's, uh, you know, and I deleted social media off my phone. So, you know, I, I really, yeah. For my 40th birthday, I deleted all social media. And of course I had to put Twitter back on there eventually just for business purposes. But I took a long break even from Twitter on my phone, but no, he doesn't need Twitter on his phone. So feel free, beat up Bruce. All you want on Twitter. He won't see it. Oh, I can't do it, man. I I can't do it. I just, I've, I've been here. I've seen what it's like. I've seen how he has to live. All right, press pause. We need one more time out to talk about our friends over at solid gold. They have been with us forever. And that's because we want our dogs to be with us forever. By now, if you follow Eric's Instagram, you know, he is in love with his dog, Nikki. And how could you not be what a cute animal? I can't wait to meet Nikki in real life, but a peek behind the scenes. I've got two poodles that I, um, <clears throat> inherited and, uh, I've fallen in love with them, man, uh, baby and ginger. They are our spice girls here at the Thompson residence. But Ginger is really like my best friend. She is in lockstep with me. Usually when I'm recording, she's in the back corner. Uh, She wants to be wherever I am, and I want to be wherever she is, which means I need to keep her around for a long time. And uh, they've discovered a long time ago over at Solid Gold that the European animals usually outlived their American counterparts, specifically the Great Danes. But Sissy McGill was so inspired by that, she created a brand new food that is really inspired by their founding belief that high quality food is the best way to impact our pets, mind, body, and spirit. They, uh, they've really done it all. They've got something for every dog or cat's needs 
but what they're about is making sure that we're taking the best possible care to help our pets better fight environmental allergies. And we want to support their immune system so they don't get sick and they live long and healthy lives. But the best way to do that is through proper diet and digestive health and just the overall wellness. And that is really what solid gold is all about. And if that means they're giving me more time with ginger, man, I am for it. And I know you love your dog, just like we love ours. So you should really check this out because solid gold has revolutionized this holistic pet food category. They've got something for any dog and any cat's dietary needs and check this out. They've got everything. I'm talking healthy, whole grain, even grain free. They've got wet food. They've got supplements like sea mail and they even have 100% human grade bone broth for dogs. My dogs love that and yours will too. Now the solid gold foods are really different because they cleanse the digestive system with whole superfoods. They balance with living probiotics and they fuel with omega three and six fatty acids. They're going to support gut health and nourish your pet both inside and out. And right now to save 30% on select solid gold products, go to solidgoldpet.com slash 83 weeks. That's solidgoldpet.com slash 83 weeks to save 30% on select solid gold products. Remember solidgoldpet.com slash 83 weeks. And now let's get back to the program in three, two, one play. Well then send your, send your mean tweets to me in form of text message and say, here's a tweet, but you know, it's actually just a text to me and we'll laugh and have a good discourse and on our way, by the way, you don't need to beat up on WWE today. Uh, I, I'm not trying to shill for him, but tonight's a dream match here. Another, you know, pay-per-view quality. You got the Usos teaming with Roman Reigns taking on new day. So the world champion versus the universal champion and their tag team partners, their brothers, if you will, in their corner, it's a real big time six man that could have been a pay-per-view, but again, it's all about television rights. As we said at the start of the show. So check it out tonight on USA and uh, don't forget AEW on Wednesday. It's going to be a heck of a week to be a wrestling fan. And let's get your wrestling week started talking about TNA from 2011. Um, this is an interesting time to, to take a look back because you've got a lot of moving parts. Uh, you're coming off hardcore justice where we saw Kurt angle, win the TNA title over sting winter is going to win the knockouts title from Mickey James fortune and immortal are continuing their feud. You got the whole network angle with sting and you and Hogan and all that's continuing. And on that show, the bound for glory series starts to take shape. On the June 16th episode impact, uh, we have a 12 man tournament announced to determine the number one contender for the TNA world title at bound for glory. It's a round Robin tournament, uh, where these matches are taking place on pay-per-view on television, on house shows and the top four point getters, if you will, uh, face off at no surrender. what do you think of that concept where it's uh, almost like real sport, not to be disparaging, but we're, we're trying to, you know, like you would see in NASCAR or I mean, a lot of different sporting events have opportunities where you're trying to have a series of events and tally it all up. And then we'll let the chips fall where they may golf and blah, blah, blah. When you see this happen in, in, in a wrestling space, does that excite you that, Hey, we're maybe taking a page from legitimate sport and bringing it and putting some entertainment on it. Or do you think that doesn't translate? I created the format for TNA. 
Oh, great. Uh, the, the Bound for Glory series was exclusively my idea initially. Now, after I sold it in, it became a collaborative effort, certainly. But the idea of Bound for Glory was one that I created in my head, believed in it in my heart, and pitched vociferously. Ah, word of the day. Um, I know I I push it hard. I push it hard, and I, and I don't want to suggest that there was a lot of resistance to it either. But I was so passionate about it and committed to the idea um, because I believed it would serve several purposes. First and foremost, it built anticipation towards a big event over an extended period of time. There was inherently a storyline that one could follow with regards to wins and losses and speculation and who's going to end up on top and all of that. Um, and I felt that that was really necessary in, in TNA. It's necessary in general, but it was really necessary in TNA. And I believe that that it was a format because it's really what it was. I mean, sometimes I use the idea of format and, 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 and um, creative kind of interchangeably. But it was a format. It was a process. It was a roadmap. Call it whatever you want. That could happen every year. And it allowed you, because of the nature of a tournament, like that, it allowed you the creative flexibility to build stories off of it. Even if, you know, you, you've got people involved in the, in the Bound for Glory series, and maybe they don't make it into the finals or semifinals, but you can still create story along the way that can spin off into its own kind of autonomous, autonomous from, from the Bound for Glory series um, storyline. So I just thought it was a fantastic way to provide a sense of structure and meaning for the audience so that you would follow them along and invest. Um, so yeah, I was passionate about it. And I, and, and again, I, you know, the Bound for, what was the uh, Bound for Glory, which was you know, their version. Of <laughs> oh, why are you laughing? You can't even say it with a straight face. <laughs> oh my God. But I mean, I'm a, I can be a real jackass sometimes. Really? That was one of them. That was one of them. There was nothing wrong with the goal of having, you know, an event that's like our version of WrestleMania, but it's kind of hard to say it in the same sentence. But I love the idea. And, and I thought it was, and here's the, and, and the idea worked, you know, did it change everything overnight? Fuck no. But it worked. It was executed well. One of the biggest challenges with a tournament format like that is keeping track of the shit because you know what you, you know, what the, you know, what the outcome is, you know, what you right. want to get to, right. It's just like any other storyline, but you have to get there in a way that's going to survive the audience's analysis of it. Yeah. But how, they're not keeping track of the points correctly because this should have happened, that happened and then that happened. So this should be the right, you know, the right formula, the right math. So we knew that was going to happen. And I want to give a big shout out to a guy that never gets other than probably me much acknowledgement um, in TNA on the creative team. And that's a cat by the name of Matt Conway. Oh, you love Matt. You're always complimentary of Matt here on the show. I am, but not many other people do. 
Matt, and you know, I'm probably pissing him off because Matt always kind of wanted to be off the radar. He never really wanted the attention. He, he didn't care about it. He just wanted to do his job and do it the best way he could, which is why I loved working with him so much. He wasn't driven by his ego. He was driven by outcome. And that's rare in the entertainment business. Absolutely. Especially the wrestling business. But Matt really, really was the guy that made sure that all of the standings and the points accumulation and all of the stuff was consistent with the creative, with the storytelling. I loved it. Can't say enough good things about it because it was my idea. Of course, it was a brilliant idea. Of course. Now, here's- I take credit for all of the good ideas and I put all the bad ideas on other people. Don't I, Conrad? You do. Uh, let, let me give you a little credit here. I appreciate that you and I share this same philosophy. Let me finish before you shit on it. Sometimes things are worth a try, even if they don't work out, meaning you and I have tried some things that in hindsight, maybe wasn't as fruitful as we hoped. Maybe wasn't our best idea. But neither you nor I look back at that and say, oh, what a failure. We needed to try it. And I'm asking you now, how do you think the Bound for Glory series worked as far as producing revenue, producing interest? Was it a home run? Was it a hit? Or is it one of those, it was a good idea, so it was worth a try type of ideas? It wasn't a home run from from a revenue perspective. I think it was a solid double and maybe a triple in terms of what needed to happen overall in TNA, which was structure and, and co- coherence, storyline coherence. There has to be a journey and in any story. I believe that to this day, if there's a story behind great characters and, and a great execution in the ring, it's a fucking home run. If there's great execution in the ring without really much story, it's just a one-off you know, we used to call them hot shots, but it's just yeah. a one-off event, right? And I think the Bound for Glory series helped everybody in TNA, including myself, think deeper in 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 more detail about our long-term storytelling and how to take advantage of it. It was also something that the network was really excited about because the network really wanted to see long-term planning. I don't think I've ever talked about this with regard to TNA and it's important here. It's, it's, it's relevant to what we're talking about today. Again, not sure about the timeline so much, but I really believed that we needed to operate off of a Bible in the television industry, whether it's scripted, well, especially in scripted, you have a, a seasoned Bible. Right. You know who you your characters are. You know who's going to be in your A story, your B story, your C story, your D story. And we can talk in depth about that for hours if you'd like. Probably not on this show. But that Bible defines your character, characters. Each one of them has an outline in terms of what their trajectory is going to be throughout the season. Now, in our case at TNA, because I created the TNA Bible. No, it was, I created it. I was the impetus. I, I, I created the need for it. And 
work closely with the network um, in the process. So we had all of our top characters, our A's story guys, our B's, C's, D's, even E's. We went five layers deep so that we could focus on each of those characters and each of those stories individually and intentionally so that we knew over a period of 90 days, a quarter, um, we knew even someone, if someone was a D story or an E story, well, what does that really mean? Why do they get a, a, a characterization of a D or an E story? They were not main event. They were not semi-main event. They were mid-card, lower-card talent, younger talent that we wanted to groom and build and create awareness for. So they're down here <clears throat> on the format, so to speak. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me give an example. Uh, you know, the other day we were watching a, a nitro and we saw in the middle of a match was a fantastic match. I think, uh, Dean Malenko was one of the competitors in the match. Maybe he was wrestling Juventude or psychosis or it was, it was a fun match, but the commentary was pushing what I believe you would call the a storyline. What's going to happen with the NWO when the NWO shows up, what are they going to do today? Blah, blah, blah. Now that doesn't mean that we're not also presenting something actively happening in the ring, but our primary revenue driver, the reason people are, are tuning into this and what they're buying merch for, et cetera, et cetera, is our a, and that was the NWO, right? Exactly. And, and by the time I got to TNA and, and specifically the Bible, you know, process that we were talking about, I had learned a lot from that, you know, made some mistakes, fuck some shit up. Yep. I did that too. Um, but I also learned there was a lot of good things that came out of it. So when we created this Bible, for example, I would look at a, a two hour show and then take out your commercial time. So you have whatever's left over, let's call it 144 minutes, whatever it is. Right. And I would divide that up into segments and determine what percentage of television time I could devote to each one of those levels of, of story, A, B, C, D, and E, right? So if your main event for a particular month leading into a pay-per-view is your money main event, I'm going to give, I'm throwing this off the top of my head because I, I don't have a Bible left. I didn't keep any, but I will give my main event, let's call it 33% of the airtime. Now that doesn't mean just match time. That could be vignettes. It can be, it can be interviews. It can be an in-ring, you know, angle, whatever it is, 33%, for example, of my television time for that month is going to be dedicated solely to the main event. My B story is going to get 20%. My C story is going to get 15%. And all the way down the line. Now, again, these percentages I'm giving you were just off the top of my head. But it allows you in a very pragmatic way to determine how much television time you're giving to what talent you've identified as the stars that you wanted to focus on in that particular three-month window. And it's not like I invented something here. It's what scripted television does all of the time. And I, and the reason I was, I was passionate about it and still am to this day is because it forces everybody to get on the same page. It forces a creative discussion that's beyond, 
well, that sucked last week. What are we going to do this week? Which was typical at that time in TNA, especially. So it forces people to think differently from a creative perspective. It also helps people understand how to build talent. Because if you commit to a D, a D story with two pieces of talent, right? And you know you have to focus on that 12% of the television time they're going to get. You want to maximize that. And you have to look at that D story over the course of 90 days. You're going to spend a lot more time thinking about it than if you're just kind of booking it week to week because you have to and you got to fill television time. you got to fill a segment. It's a whole different way of approaching things. So what I ended up doing, because it, it, TNA was not excited about it, because it was additional work. Matt Conway was excited about it because he was a very uh, logical thinker. He not only was creative, but he was also pragmatic, which is unusual because most people, creative people are like, well, fuck, I'm really creative. I'm, really, I'm going to come up with a great idea. Oh, that'll work. Fuck, Yeah but they're not pragmatic, pragmatic enough to actually do the work and make it work, right? They're just good at coming up with ideas. So there was some resistance internally at TNA to the idea of doing a Bible because it forced everybody to focus on shit that they normally didn't have to focus on and therefore seemed like it was a burden. But what I did to overcome that is I, <laughs> I kind of, this is a dirty thing to do, but I did it and I'm proud of it. I went to Spike. I said, guys, you need to force us to have a Bible. You do it for every other television show that you do. Why should wrestling be different? Why should you let TNA, and I didn't say it this way, but why should you let TNA you know, get away with just showing up every week and said, okay, this is what we're going to do and hoping for the best. Why would you do that? You're spending a lot of money on this show. Why wouldn't you subject TNA to the same kind of rigors and expectations that you, you do for every other scripted show that you have in form of entertainment? Ask for a Bible. And Spike went, yeah, that's a great idea. And then I was able to go back to TNA and say, they want a Bible. <laughs> so now we got to do it. That's how I overcame the resistance. But it was a fantastic exercise. And Kevin Sullivan, the producer, not the talent, um, he actually has a copy or two. And, and I know that because he and I exchanged text messages, I don't know, a couple years ago, three years ago or so, because I wanted to get my hands on one. I just wanted to remember. Yeah. I wanted to look at it because it was really fucking awesome. Yeah. We had each one of the storylines laid out. We, you know, we defined the characters and the evolutions of the characters during the course of that three-month story arc. It was really, really well done because the team did a great job with it. And I would love to see that. I would also love to see if it's in the hands of anybody else at this point because it was a perfect roadmap for longer term storytelling in between pay-per-views. It was, it was really not, did it benefit TNA financially? I don't know. I don't know how you measure that, but was it probably one of the better things that happened creatively in TNA? Absolutely. Because it forced people to have discipline that they otherwise didn't have. All right. Listen up guys, Eric. And I want to give you a pro tip about something both he and I enjoy. Of course, we're talking about rec tech. We've been beating the drum for Rectech for quite a while here on the show, but if you've missed it, 
Rectech offers wood pellet grills fueled by all natural hardwood pellets. And of course they've got your other outdoor lifestyle products like coolers, apparel, grill accessories, and more, but we're all about the grills. And you see Rectech has a grill for every lifestyle and every budget with a key focus on flavor, convenience, and versatility. Now, what we're talking about here is that these grills can really do it all. But the thing that sold me more than anything else is the quality of construction. I have to admit I had a different brand of pellet smoker and I was sold on the concept. But once I understood what made Rectech special, boy, there was no looking back. The lifestyle series of grills includes the gold standard PID Wi-Fi controllers. Now that's the same form of temperature control that you would see used in commercial baking, brewing, or even pharmaceuticals. Now what that means for you is you can control your grill with your phone. Do you hear me? You control your grill with your phone. You can turn it on. You can turn it off. You can turn it up. You can turn it down. It doesn't get any easier than this. And oh, by the way, Rectech has something else those other guys don't have. We're talking about a ceramic igniter. You see the competitors out there, they use a fragile steel igniter gimmick. But these igniters from Rectech, because they're ceramic, they're rated for over 270 years of everyday grilling. And we're talking about kids, kids, kids grilling right here, all thanks to Rectech. But maybe the best part about doing business with Rectech is that they have brought back old school customer service. They've got an emphasis on making everyone feel like a member of the Rectech family. But check this out. This is what really separates them. They put their money where their mouth is. They offer an industry leading bumper to bumper warranty on a grill. Have you ever heard of that? All of their grills come with a bumper to bumper warranty. And no, you've never heard of it because nobody else offers it. Only Rectech and Rectech knows you're going to love this. In fact, they give you a 30 day money back guarantee. And did I mention all their grills ship for free? In fact, their factory direct pricing eliminates the middleman and makes you the winner. And what are you going to win? The highest quality stainless steel grill that's built for a lifetime that you can find. Don't take my word for it. Check out the flagship model, the RT 700. That's the one I've got. It comes with a 40 pound pellet hopper, which is going to give you about 40 hours of continuous cook time. You also are going to get 702 square inches of cooking space with that unbelievable Rectech PID Wi-Fi controller. And oh yeah, a six year bumper to a bumper warranty. You can bake, you can smoke, you can sear, you can grill. Hell, you can even dehydrate on a Rectech and it all happens with the push of a button. They're very active on social media, so check them out there, R-E-C-T-E-Q, or just check them out on their website, R-E-C-T-E-Q.com. That's rectech.com. But when you find them on social, you'll see all the testimonials. You'll see all the weekday cooking demonstrations. I'm sold. Megan's sold. Mrs. B is sold. Eric is sold. You've got to learn more about Rectech. Grilling outdoors and enjoying the outdoors is just more fun with Rectech. That's rectech.com. That's R E C T E Q.com. Well, the bound for glory series, uh, as we bring it back around, uh, the 12 wrestlers were the Pope, Matt Morgan, uh, Devon crimson, Samoa, Joe, Scott Steiner, AJ styles, RVD, James storm, Gunner, bully Ray, and, uh, Bobby rude. Morgan gets hurt in the tournament and has to pull out while some people like Crimson, Samoa Joe, and Scott Steiner only had like 10 matches, but Gunner has 20 matches or so. Uh, so it's an interesting concept. 
Uh, maybe one day we'll break out the old whiteboard and, and break it down a little bit. Let's talk about some other sort of, uh, news and notes. Uh, the amazing red is announced as no longer being with the company because apparently creative told him they had no ideas for him. Uh, he was reintroduced right before he got released, but amazing red is one of those guys who I feel like the timing just wasn't right because boy, in a different time and place, what an innovator. Uh, I was a big fan of his stuff in the early TNA days and saw him in ring of honor and a handful of other places, but from a high flyer standpoint, my goodness, he was doing stuff that nobody had ever seen. And the last time we saw someone do that, where it was like that innovative was Ray Mysterio. And I think he had some injuries and, and maybe it just didn't continue the way we had hoped. What did you think of amazing red? Did you get to see any of his stuff? Oh, of course. And I, I liked him personally. He was, he was a very, uh, professional, um, positive person, you know, um, and athletically and in terms of what he was capable of in the ring, he was off the charts. Good. Um, Mike's skills were underdeveloped. Sure. That was because he hadn't given, been given the opportunity and that takes time. Just like it takes time to, to do all the physical things that people like amazing red can do. That doesn't happen overnight and neither does a good promo. It's a different kind of, um, talent. And it has to be developed. And he hadn't had that chance yet. But aside from lack of mic skills, you know, the biggest challenge was who does he work with? Right. Long term. You know, you can't have the same match with the same three guys over and over and over and over again. And there weren't a lot of guys that could keep up with um, or have the style of match that it would take to keep Amazing Red, you know, on a upward journey. So a couple of other, uh, innovators are no longer with the company. The young bucks, uh, at the time known as generation me are going to leave TNA and say in an interview, quote, there was a number of reasons. The main being, they weren't being used as much as they liked and their contract was on a per date basis. They weren't used for a month. So they were sitting around making no money. Matt's wife was pregnant and Nick had just bought a house. They noted they were frustrated with how they were being used. They said they had no problem being split up and feuding and were told it was building to a cage match at lockdown, but then the angle was just dropped cold. They said it was a bad sign when the agents for the company, when asked, had no idea if they were supposed to be heels or faces. <laughs> they said they would rather go on the indie scene where they could control their bookings, work the dates they want, know how many dates they were working per month so they could budget their money better. This is a real circumstance, a real situation that I don't think a lot of people ever talk about, but when you're on the independence, you, most of the time get to pick where you work, who you work, how you work and negotiate your money, et cetera, et cetera. However, when you're under contract with a television company, especially if you're being paid on a per day basis, you're kind of at that mercy, you know, their mercy, so to speak. What do you remember about generation me, uh, moving on? Not much. Um, I wasn't on the talent side, talent management side of the equation. I want and talked about this before. I won't spend time on it, but I intentionally, when I negotiated with my contract, made it clear that I didn't want to be involved in any decisions regarding the hiring and firing of talent. 
I would make recommend recommendations, of course, if I saw somebody that was available or you know, saw something in somebody, I'd throw it on the table, but that was up to somebody else to figure out. Right. Especially the negotiation side of things. I was not involved at all when it came to contracts or who got paid what or how long their contract, none of that. I didn't, I, I, if, if it got brought up in a room that I was in, you know, coincidentally, I'd leave the room. And it, it was largely because I knew that you're always going to have people that are going to be unhappy with their situation. Nobody's ever completely, nor should they be, completely satisfied with what they have. Most people in the entertainment business aspire to have more and do more and become the biggest star they can be. That should be the way it is, right? But when you're on the other side of that coin and you're the person making those decisions or communicating the decisions, because oftentimes the people making the decisions are not the same people that are communicating those decisions. That's why they have, that's why they had agents because they could take the heat. And that's another topic we're going to get to in a second at the end of this, but I wasn't involved in it. You know, I knew, here's what I knew. I knew that the reason the young bucks or generation me, the reason they were in TNA at all was because of Bob Ryder. Bob Ryder was a, Massive supporter of the Young Bucks to to the extent that he started pissing people off. Now, Bob Ryder, you'd you'd have to look long and hard for people that would say anything negative about Bob Ryder and the way he the way he treated other people. He was a very quiet, supportive. He did his work. He worked hard. He'd have ideas like everybody else, but if you didn't buy into his idea or take his suggestion. He wouldn't get like all ass rash over it. You just move on and go about his business. Except for when it came to generation me, right? He was aggressive about pushing them. And I saw part of Bob's personality because I had worked with Bob and WCW a little bit. You know, I got to know Bob before TNA, but I saw this, aspect of Bob's personality that made me go, Whoa, Bob, you got a little fire in you, buddy. He was really high on them. Um, but in terms of the nature of their deal and how it was structured, I, I wasn't involved in it. And I can certainly understand if I'm, you know, if I've got a kid on, if I'm a young performer and I've got a kid on the way, or I just bought a house or both. Um, fuck yeah, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to, you know, protect my family and give them the best opportunities I can. And if that means walking away from a nightly deal where I didn't think I have any future and there's no aspect of, or, or no prospect of getting a contract. Yeah. I'm out of there. I don't blame them. All right. Press pause. We need to run a timeout right now to tell you about our friends, chili sleep. It's been a game changer in my household. It is a number one chili sleep makes the Uller in the cube sleep system, which is a hydro powered temperature controlled mattress topper that fits over your existing mattress to provide your ideal sleep temperature. Let me explain. Science has told us the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering our core body temperature. Now I already knew that I've been cranking down the thermostat to like 67 degrees. What I didn't think about though, is I'm cooling off everything. My laundry room, my dining room, my kitchen. I just need my bed to be cooler. And Chili Sleep makes customizable, climate-controlled sleep solutions that help you improve your entire well-being. Here's what we're talking about. 
when you go ahead and lower that core body temperature and you have deep sleep, it's going to restore that testosterone level. It's going to repair your muscles after a long, hard day's work, and it's going to improve your cognitive function. You're going to start your day feeling sharp and alert. At least that's been my experience. Now, this is a mattress pad that's going to keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep sleep. We're talking about all things chilly sleep, but this works whether you sleep hot or cold. For instance, Mrs. Thompson wants to climb into a warm bed, but then cool her off as the night goes on so she doesn't get all hot and sweaty. I used to constantly flip my pillow because I wanted to feel the coolness on the other side. I don't do that anymore with chilly sleep. I, I fall asleep and I stay asleep. And that's what they're designed to do, to keep you asleep. Not only are they going to help you get there, but they're going to keep you in that deep sleep. That's going to give you the power and the confidence and the energy to just dominate your day the next day. Imagine waking up and not feeling tired. That has been my experience with chilly sleep, and they can make it happen for you too. Head on over to chillysleep.com forward slash 83 weeks to learn more and check out a special offer available exclusively for 83 weeks listeners and only for a limited time. That's C-H-I-L-I, Chili. That's chillysleep.com, C-H-I-L-I, sleep.com forward slash 83 weeks. That's chillysleep.com forward slash 83 weeks to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up refreshed every day. It's been a game changer for me. You're going to love it. Go try it for yourself right now. That's chili, C-H-I-L-I, sleep.com, slash 83 weeks. And now let's press play together in three, two, one, play. We should also talk about uh, the Hardy Boys, another famous tag team. There's a lot of rumor and innuendo surrounding them at this time. And there's talk that there are folks in TNA trying to get the uh, brothers into a rehab facility, but supposedly the Hardys are reluctant to go. And as a result, they're just not being used. Do you remember this being an, an impasse with the Hardys here in 2011? No. And again, it's, I mean, I knew that there was obviously there were issues, it's no secret, you know, and I think Jeff and Matt will probably be the best people to talk about this. Cause I think they're pretty open about it. Nobody's trying to make up shit there. Um, but it was an issue. I remember it being an issue. There was a lot of concerns, especially for Jeff. Jeff more so than Matt. Um, so yeah, I, I, but I, you know, I wasn't involved, you know, in the office discussions of it or trying to get anybody into treatment or anything like that. But I stayed away from that shit. At the impact tapings after hardcore justice, Immortal's going to kick out Mr. Anderson. So his heel turn only lasted three to four weeks. It feels like maybe creative just didn't really know what to do with him. Kurt angle is going to kind of promo on sting explaining he had to use a steel chair to get the title away from sting because he doesn't want Dixie Carter back. So if I'm understanding this, right, the creative is that sting as the world champion could bring Dixie Carter back if he wanted to, but angle, if angle was champion, he couldn't do that. This creative just gives me a headache here. Am I understanding this right? Yeah. I don't remember the details of that story. I mean, I mean, I remember it in, in general, um, this is the beginning of, of a series of bad choices, all orbiting around the idea that we have to make Dixie Carter a character in the show. So all of these little bad ideas or big bad ideas that 
kind of orbit around Dixie Carter's name were all kind of driven by making Dixie a character on the show. Let's talk about something you are going to remember. I'm sure this is from the observer regarding the August 11th impact. All the X division guys went into Bischoff's office. The way they portray the X division is now like they're a bunch of ninth graders who really don't belong. Bischoff's new thing is to keep them separate, which is probably best for all concerned. So the size isn't exposed as much. Bischoff was mad. He had to keep them around, but said the network ordered it after the success of destination X. Oh, God. Bischoff said he was keeping the division and putting stop, 200. Stop, 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 wait, wait, stop. wait, wait. This is all in kayfabe. This is something you're saying on the show. It's not real life. Okay. My God. Bischoff said he was keeping the division and putting a 225 pound weight limit. I guess the old slogan, uh, it's not about weight limits. It's about no limits is out the window. He then yelled at abyss who by losing the title caused all this. And now said abyss couldn't be wrestling the guys. Bischoff announced a gauntlet next week to determine the top contender. Austin Aries then cozied up to Bischoff saying he agreed with Bischoff about the rest of the guys. So this is the first time that you've put a weight limit on the X division. Uh, was that a, um, a storyline device or is that an actual, cause I know you've said before that you were frustrated with the concept of the X division. What is it? I mean, you, we've beat that drum pretty big here. Is this you sort of getting your way when you put a weight limit on it? It was my way of forcing logic into an illogical situation and my way of forcing the branding of the exhibition, which heretofore had no fucking branding, no concept, no idea other than oh, the only rules that there are no rules. It was like the most childish juvenile creative I've ever been exposed to. And it drove me batshit fucking crazy, especially because the template had been set in WCW with the cruiserweight division, the cruiserweight division at its peak of its success was talent that had a unique ability to present professional wrestling in a highly athletic way that was much faster paced that you couldn't see in the heavyweight division. It's just the same reason why, you know, a lightweight, a flyweight, a middleweight boxing match is often more interesting to watch for some people because the level of athleticism, the, the combinations, the speed at which boxers throw punches and, and even in MMA, the speed of what more so in boxing than MMA, but the speed and the, the combinations and the art of boxing is more apparent sometimes in the lighter divisions than it is in the heavyweight divisions. And that distinction between your big six foot five, 350 pound abyss type characters and amazing red is better showcased when you've got a division, eight, 10, 12, 14 guys that can all complement each other in that particular style of the cruiserweight division. The X division in its conceit, in my opinion, no offense to anybody that's a part of our team, Jeff, but it was a great first step, but the execution of it, the branding of it, the commitment to it, the real commitment, the creative commitment to it was non-existent. Nobody gave it any thought. Nobody raised their hand and said, well, what makes the X division unique? Because you'd have guys like a fucking abyss 
great talent in the X division because, well, the rules are there no rules. Well, they're the same rules that we see throughout the rest of the programming or lack thereof. It was just the most mind-boggling, inconsistent, poorly conceived, half-assed idea, the X division. And by the way, I think it probably still is because nobody's ever grabbed a hold of it and said, let's figure out a way to give it its own identity. Let's brand it in a logical way that the audience can identify with and, re- and, and, and well, relate to same thing. Sorry. So yeah, it was my way, kind of like by using a story Bible and having to go to Viacom and convince them to convince Dixie that they needed it, which is exactly what I did. This was the, kind of the same approach to the X division by establishing publicly, here are the rules, here are the weight limits. It forced TNA against their collective creative will to adapt a process that I hoped at least would lend some logic to an illogical creative, I don't even call it creative, an illogical strategy. It wasn't creative at all. In fact, that was my biggest issue with it. There was no creativity to it whatsoever because there was no thought given to it. Oh, the only rules are there no rules. Fuck. (laughs) That's stupid. Can you imagine watching college football where you just, fuck, it doesn't matter if there's four downs, three downs. Fucking doesn't matter. You can hold if you want to hold. Doesn't matter. It'd just be stupid. Right. And that's what the X division was. It was fucking stupid. It had a ton of potential. It could have been something that really made TNA unique because WWE wasn't doing it yet at the time. They weren't focusing on that kind of talent. Yeah, you had Rey Mysterio, you had some smaller guys, but there was no real X or cruiserweight division or any iteration of it in WWE, whereas TNA had the opportunity with guys like, you know, Generation Me, the Young Bucks. They had the opportunity, but they didn't want to embrace it. So it was my way of forcing them. You know what they say? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't force them to drink. You tried to push their head under a few times though. Should have drowned them. Yeah. Their biggest enemies were themselves. Honestly, lack of vision, no vision. Just. ah. Let's, um, you know, listen, there's a lot of bad creative here. We could break down and I know some of it really probably doesn't really warrant a discussion. Uh, being so nice to me today, Connor. <laughs> well, listen, there's just some silly shit in here that I know is just going to make you have an, a- an aneurysm. And we're not oh, gonna... come on, bring it on. I'm in a good mood, man. Okay. I'm, I'm having a blessed day today. I'm good. I'm good. I feel so good. I almost feel guilty. So before we bring do me back down, bring me back down to earth. The following announcement has been paid for by the new world order. All right, Eric, let's run one more time out and talk about our friends over at feels feels is a better way to feel better. Of course, feels is a premium CBD that will help you keep your head clear and feel your best. It's hassle-free and delivered directly to your door. Now, if you're not familiar with CBD, I want to give you a heads up. CBD isn't about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel stress, anxiety, pain. Maybe you've been struggling with nervousness or sleeplessness. Here's a solution without the harmful side effects. You see, CBD is going to naturally help you reduce all of that. The stress, the anxiety, the pain, the sleeplessness, but best of all, with no hangover and no addiction. And this has been something that really worked in the Bischoff household, right, Eric? 
I absolutely wholeheartedly love this product. And I'll be honest, Conrad, I was cynical at first because I've tried probably a dozen or more different CBD oils over the last two or three years, I think. Um, some of it I purchased over the counter <clears throat> because I was curious. Some of it was, uh, product was referred to me by friends or whatever. And I've always been disappointed with it. It was always like, yeah, good gimmick, but mm, eh, nothing there. And when Feels came on and we, as we've talked about before, get an opportunity to sample the product to make sure that we feel good about endorsing it, I was cynical, but I thought, okay, let's give it a shot. And one of the first things I noticed when I opened up the package is there's very specific instructions regarding dosage because everybody's, well, everyone's body reacts, everybody's body chemistry reacts slightly differently. So you get a good kind of um, pathway, a roadmap, if you will, that allows you to kind of adjust dosages based on what your goals are. For example, I, I'm fortunate, knock on wood, I have no pain. I've got no issues with joint pain or arthritis or any aches and pains from silly stuff that I did growing up. Um, but sleep has always been an issue for me for as long as I can remember. And I thought, wow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a shot. So following the dosage recommendations in the package of feels, my first night, you know, I, I, it's a, a sublingual, you know, you put it under your tongue. And I went to sleep, and I don't think I have ever had a deep sleep. And I want to bring up something that's really important about that. There's a difference between knocking yourself out with narcotics, even melatonin, you know, things like that over the counter. I've tried melatonin years. I've tried it off and on. And it puts me to sleep, but unfortunately, I wake up with a head that feels like a bucket of wet cement. And it takes me three hours to kind of get out of the fog. So melatonin didn't work for me, but feels put me into a real deep sleep. It's called rapid movement or REM state. You know you when you're in a deep sleep, when you have vivid dreams that you can recall when you wake up. And I went into such a deep sleep and I woke up and honestly, I felt more refreshed than I think I ever had because I was able to get into that complete deep sleep, not a surface sleep or every little noise wakes you up or, you know, if you're slightly uncomfortable, it wakes you up. I mean, I went out, I laid down. I don't think my head moved for six and a half or seven hours until I woke up and I woke up feeling awesome. I love this product and I've even experimented with dosages now where, for example, if I get up in the morning and I'm working on something that I have to focus on and I really, really want to focus and not be distracted and be thinking about other things. There's even a dosage recommendation for focus during the course of the day. And because you don't get that THC high or anything remotely close to that, nothing associated with it, it not only does it help me sleep at night, but at certain times during the day when I know I have to be on my game, I use it to focus. I love this product. Can't speak highly enough of it. Can't recommend it enough. By the way, it's simple. You place a few drops of feels under your tongue and you feel the difference within minutes. Now, the thing to remember about CBD, as Eric alluded to, is that finding your right dose is important and really everyone's dose is different. So feels has your back. They've set up a free CBD hotline to help you guide you through your personal experience to make sure you find your perfect dose. 
The customer service team there at Fields is dedicated to making sure that you get the best use out of your CBD. Here's another heads up. When you join the Fields monthly membership, it makes your self-care routine easy. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel anytime. So why not start feeling better with Fields? Become a member today going to fields.com slash 83 weeks and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S.com slash 83 weeks to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off of your first order with free shipping. That's fields.com slash 83 weeks. Um, August 19th impact Meltzer recaps it here. The show opened with sting recap uh, sting coming to the ring, holding a chair. I guess it's the chair angle hit him with at the pay-per-view. Sting fell down the ramp and started selling like he was hit with a chair saying that was proof. He had lost his mind because he was reenacting the pay-per-view and everything was a blur. Then he talks about how it was great to see the fire back in Hogan's eyes and how he and the fans can't wait for Hogan who sting called the greatest wrestler of all time to come back and wrestle sting challenged Hogan to wrestle him tonight. Then flares music played. He asked sting how he could call Hogan the greatest wrestler of all time. Flair put over Sting, saying he was one of the biggest stars in the history of the business and said Sting was a real icon in wrestling. Flair said he's ready to become the best wrestler one more time and wants a match with Sting. And Flair said the reason he doesn't wrestle often is because Dixie Carter doesn't pay him enough. Okay, isn't the storyline that she's not around and Hogan and Bischoff are running things? And then when people watching think they're seeing a second rate company, one of the biggest stars in the company shouldn't be telling fans who believe it anyway, that they are correct. Flair said he wants a match where if sting loses, he has to retire. Wow. Another step people can believe in. If sting beats him, then sting gets a match with Hogan. Flair talks about how, again, if he wins sting has to go back home to California sting, then accepted the challenge. So it looks like. Sting beats Flair at no surrender to set up Sting versus Hogan at Bound for Glory. Wow, just like 94, Flair beats Sting to set up Flair versus Hogan. Um, Sting falling down the ramp, pretending he's been hit by a chair. And then Flair's reference, even though you and Hogan, I mean, storyline are running things, Dixie Carter doesn't pay me enough. Less than awesome. Less than awesome is being kind. I don't know why you're being so gentle. Cause there's more to come Oh God. from that same okay. show. Tracy Brooks came back wearing a schoolgirl halter top and was bending over with her implants and Bischoff's face asking for her job back at knockout law. She was explaining what her old job was, which was booking the women, taking care of their problems, sometimes refereeing while Bischoff's blood was rushing from his brain. Didn't we establish she was Kazarian's wife a few months back on this very show? So in real life, of course, she is married to Frankie Kazarian, but you acknowledged that on the show a few months ago. And now here she is trying to smother you in boobs and get her job back. When we know she's Frankie Kazarian's wife, because you told us, uh, is there anyone doing any sort of quality control for any of these storylines? Because there's two real glaring issues in two of these segments in the same show. Well, let's take them one at a time. First one, I think being staying in acting like he's out of his freaking mind. Um, and I, I don't know what, I don't know what the, uh, the catalyst was for that aspect of, I don't know who said, Hey, why don't we do this? Um, this is 2011. So 
I would have been aware and part of the process, but I wasn't driving creative, so I can't remember why that was such a good idea. But I, I, I can take a pretty good guess at it. You know, Sting's character, he was that silent, dangerous type, but every once in a while he'd break out of it and do something that just kind of surprised everybody. Maybe that was it. I don't know. I'd have to go back and watch and, you know, see how things played out on the pay-per-view previously to see if there's, if there's any context at all. And I'm not suggesting there is because oftentimes there wasn't, <laughs> but there may have been, but I, I, without seeing what was happening previously and, and in the pay-per-view and why Sting did, did that, other than saying, I think it was probably Sting trying to create some dimension and an edge to his character, whether it was a good idea or bad idea, that was probably the reason behind it. It was for, for Sting to establish that he was a little bit crazy at times and dangerous as a result. It's just a guess. Let me mention, um, there's a lot of moving parts in, uh, outside of TNA, the WWE is going to uh, have some releases and some folks quit Melina, Chris masters, uh, Vladimir Kozlov and Harry Smith are all released. Gail Kim quits. Did any of these names jump off the page and make you think, shit, we got to get them. I like Gail Kim. Cause I got to know her a little bit when I was a talent in WWE. And I had a lot of respect for her ability. Um, she could also carry a, she had the potential of being a good interview. She could have been pretty good on the mic. The potential was, she wasn't there, but she had the potential to get there. And I, again, I loved her, her work in the ring. And she was another one of those people that was just, she was positive to be around. I, I went out with her as a part of a group, not with her settle down internet. Um, but several of us would go out after the show occasionally, probably happened two or three times. And she was just, I don't know. She was just a positive person. So I liked her and I was hoping she would land in, in TNA. I, uh, real quick. Masters. Let me just mention next time you need to say, settle down Twitter, because when you say settle down internet, you sound like a pawpaw. Just, well, isn't just Twitter on the internet? Yeah, but isn't Instagram on the internet? It's the collective. I get that, but you could say settle down social media. Okay. But, but settle down internet. Like, you know, listen, I know that he, uh, he hates me and certainly we had an issue once upon a time, but you and I like buff Bagwell and are big buff Bagwell fans. And we're pulling for him and we're supporting him, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, <laughs> he sometimes says I got fired because of the computer. Uh, and, and that you, somebody needs to say, I got fired because of dirt sheets on the, on the internet or whatever. That's at least, I don't like the term dirt sheet, but that still, when you say, man, that damn internet, social media, all right, I, settle I down that. social media. That's better than settle down. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Cause my daughter will do the same thing every once in a while. Yeah. I should come out here to visit Wyoming and she'll say, Dad, you 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 cannot wear those shoes in public. You just can't. Or, Dad, you've got to do something different with your hair. Or, Dad, burn your wardrobe. Please burn your wardrobe. So I appreciate people trying to keep me at least somewhat current. 
And Conrad, you're like family to me, and I appreciate it very much. I'll never be offended <laughs> when someone points out to me that I'm dating myself. Yeah. So props to you. So you like Gail Kim. Uh, you you got to think this is a good opportunity, or maybe you don't. Fox makes an agreement for all the UFC television properties to make their way off of Spike and over to Fox. When this news comes out, what are your thoughts? I mean, for a long time, Spike had been sort of using the UFC and impact together, but now with the UFC leaving, did you see this as a bad thing or perhaps an opportunity? I saw this as the golden key to the kingdom. I was so excited about it from a business perspective because the ultimate fighter on spike TV was if not the most significant component of USC's trajectory into, in, into the future, the reason for their success. There were other things, but ultimate fighter on television has to be recognized as one of the primary reasons. If you go back and you look at the UFC prior to the ultimate fighter on spike, they were burning cash, burning cash. Absolutely. It was a, it was a cash incinerator with no hopes of ever being anything other than a cash incinerator that appealed to a small, small segment of the audience. Ultimate fighter came along and changed everything. Yeah. Now there were other things to, to, I'm not, I don't mean to dismiss all of the other strategies and investments and choices and decisions that were going on because I certainly wasn't aware of them. I only knew what I knew, you know, from the outside looking in. I'm sure that along with the ultimate fighter, there were, there were other strategies and tactics and discussions and investments and all that happening at the same time. But in terms of what the audience knew, ultimate fighter was a pivot point in a very significant one. And you go back and look at what happened over the course of the series, the seasons of ultimate fighter. And you look at the growth of UFC and again, wasn't the only reason, but it was a big part of the reason, right? And then when UFC moved to Fox, again, having worked with television executives and network executives at this point, you know, for 10 or 12 years, had a pretty good idea what the reaction was going to be at Viacom. It's like, fuck, we built in many ways, we built this business. We built the UFC with the investment we made in ultimate fighter. We're one of the reasons why UFC is what it is today. And the UFC just says, Hey, thanks for the memories. We're off to greener pastures, which I understand too, by the way, I'm not criticizing that idea at all. I would have made it too. I wished I would have been in a position to make some, a decision like that. But I also knew what was going to happen at a pretty high level at Viacom, which would be, hey, we're no longer going to be in the business of building other people's businesses unless we own a piece of said business. 
I knew that the day I heard that UFC was going to leave and, and move over to Fox. Absolutely knew it. And had discussions about it almost immediately. Because I knew as bad as it was for Spike in some respects, it created an absolute home run opportunity for TNA. Because TNA was in a position where they were struggling. They were struggling because their funding partner, Panda Energy, and the, the, the Carter family didn't want to invest in their own property. Right. They just didn't. They wanted to get their initial $30 million or whatever it was they initially invested. They wanted to get that back, and they wanted TNA to live on its own without any further investment. I get that. It's a fucking horrible idea, but I get it. Um, in terms, it's a horrible idea if you want to grow a business. Let's put it that way. Good idea, I guess, from a purely investment point of view, but short-term investment. But I thought, man, this is the golden opportunity. This is where we go to spike because they're going to be pissed. There's going to be people having to answer for things. This is where we go to them and say, look, Kevin K, why don't you own a piece of TNA? Why don't you prevent? You're already supporting TNA. Let me let me back up just a little bit. There was a point in time, and again, my timelines may be off here a little bit, so forgive me. You know, I don't live and breathe this shit. I don't have 20 pages of notes in front of me. I'm giving you my honest recollections um, as I remember them. But there was a period of time where there was a rebranding campaign. Spike wanted to really rebrand TNA. Remember Wrestling Matters? You remember that campaign? Yes. Okay. That was all driven by Spike. Paid for the research that went into it, the presentation of it, not only within Viacom, but within TNA. All of that was not driven by the Carter family. In fact, they resented it. Here you got Spike spending a fortune to rebrand a property they have no equity in. All they have is a license fee. And on top of the license fee, a talent acquisition cost over and above the license fee. So Spike was bending over backwards to support and build a property that they have no equity in. And I thought now that they're getting their balls kicked for doing the same thing for UFC, there are going to be some people with some achy balls. Let's be a solution and improve our own position in the process. That, that was the beginning of my campaign to have spiked or Viacom uh, be an equity partner in TNA because I knew if Spike and by the way they did it with Bellator, so I was right. Number one, um, they did it with Bellator. They couldn't get it done with TNA because there was a jail food mentality. They didn't. They meaning management of TNA didn't want to be responsible to Spike on a on a, on a day to day business perspective. They didn't want anybody calling the shots but them, even though they were calling bad shots, even though they had no vision. Even I remember when that Wrestling Matters campaign came out. Yeah. 
Dixie's mom was like, oh, this is bullshit. This is, this is horrible. I don't get this at all. Of course you didn't get it. You weren't in any of the fucking meetings. You don't know anything about the entertainment business. Of course you don't get it. There's a lot of things you don't get. But here's a company that the network is spending their money to brand a privately held property that they have no equity in. And the people, instead of going, wow, this is awesome. This is great. Let's support Spike in this effort. Let's get behind it. It was stiff arm all along the way. Nothing was good enough. And I felt the opposite. I, I don't know. Sorry. Let's talk about I, uh, the business here for a minute, because I saw something in my research that just jumped off the page. We're talking about business and you know, where the Carters were with their investment. And I know that you've sort of taken them to task a little bit, but man, I kind of get it. When I see this, there's talk that the sting and Kurt angle hardcore justice drew 7,500 buys that just blew me away. 7,500 in 2010, it was 20,000 buys, which also seems like a disaster, but 7,500, I mean, on some level, do we not just look around and say, why, why are we bothering with this? Like you could. The production cost of that, you're losing money, just running the show. Yep. And, and if you have no understanding of the entertainment business and even less understanding of the wrestling business, one would probably come to the conclusion that this is a complete waste of money. And that's what TNA management was collectively. None of them other than Jeff and Jeff was outside. He was on the outside looking in. Jeff, Jeff didn't have a lot of influence <laughs> at this point in time. Um, but you take Jeff out of the equation. Who do you have in TNA management, senior or otherwise? Eric, how, 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 how can you say people who don't understand business would think that you, you don't run shows. You don't run a pay-per-view if it costs money. You should just put the shit on TV instead. No, but you should know you're absolutely wrong, Conrad. Yes. If you, if you don't have any understanding of the wrestling business or any understanding of the television business, one would come to that conclusion. I would, if I were in that category, or if you were someone who did have an understanding of the entertainment business and did have an understanding of the wrestling business, you would say this shit isn't working. Why? Why? Why do we have a name like Sting and Kurt Angle and Kurt Angle? And why isn't it working? There's answers for that. There's a reason for that. And they all come back to the same tumor because it's cancer and it's malignant. When you're not willing to commit, when you have no vision for the future, how can you be surprised that you have no future? When you're sitting at home and you wake up on New Year's Day and you say, I need to lose some weight. I need to get healthy. I need to learn to speak a foreign language. I need to try to run a marathon, whatever it is. But you don't have any fucking plan. 
you wouldn't know how to get there, even if you did have a plan, because you're not committed to anything. But, but, and but, then you wake up 30 days later and go, fuck, I still can't speak Spanish. I still can't run more than a quarter of a mile without blowing up. Maybe I should never have a plan. Maybe I shouldn't be in this. Fuck. The reason, going right back to what I've been saying for years, that is my biggest frustration when it comes to the topic of TNA is because the potential was right there in the palm of their hands. They had the golden ticket, but they had no vision and they had no commitment. They didn't do what Tony Khan is doing by putting his money and his balls on the line and saying, we're going to run Arthur Ashe. And yeah, I know I need some massive talent to make that work. Well, we're going to do that too. It was like, oh, no, no, no. We got the talent. Now it's got to take care of itself. And if it doesn't, then we shouldn't even support it. Yeah, you would do that if you were completely ignorant to the entertainment business. But when you had talent, like Sting and like Kurt Hangel and like Ric Flair and like and, and, and the AJ Styles and the Robert Roods and the Samoa Joes. And you don't commit to make that show feel more important by taking it on the road and having that audience for crying out loud. We've just gone through a year and a half of a fucking master's course and why the audience is important to the show. How do you think the, 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 Dynamite would do in, in, in Arthur Ashe Stadium if there were 47 people in the venue. It would suck. It would be a disaster, right? But now you fill that thing up with 18 or 20,000 people. What's your impression of AEW now? It's coming on strong. It's a legitimate, it's in the same but, conversation as AEW. And if you don't do that, you can't expect to be in that same conversation. And that was my frustration. They didn't commit in, they wouldn't they wouldn't commit in themselves. Just wouldn't. They wouldn't do the things necessary to be successful. I hope you feel better because that was a bunch of fucking nonsense. No, it wasn't. Nonsense. No, it, it is. It is. You don't throw good money after bad. And that's what this yes, is. You do. Hang, hang on, if hang you on, hang on. Am I allowed to talk at all on this fucking yes, show? I'm sorry, damn it. You should have built a pay-per-view people wanted to see that we agree, but that doesn't mean let's just continue to throw shit against the wall and hope something sticks. It means let's reevaluate our formula. If we're running pay-per-views that sell 7,500 buys, it means our TV fucking sucks. Let's get our Why? TV right. And then we can go sell pay-per-views, but goddamn, I just the satellite you. hookup is more than the total gross of this shit. I absolutely agree with you. You said you, that was the. You said something, if our, if our pay-per-view isn't working, it's because our TV sucks, yeah. right? No, fuck it. You wouldn't, it doesn't take a brain surgeon. You don't have to be Steven Spielberg to figure that. My shit point out. is Eric, why would we continue to have, it feels as if, well, we have to have a pay-per-view next month. Why? Because that's just what you do. Not if it's not making money, you're the guy who came into WCW and said, Hey, we're losing money when we're running these house shows. Here's an idea. Let's run less fucking house shows. If we're losing money when we're running pay-per-views, here's an idea. Let's run less fucking pay-per-views. Let's figure out how to get our product hot enough to go do house shows. Let's figure out how, how to get the product hot enough. Then why didn't you do it? Motherfucker? Because I wasn't in charge of TNA. I had no control. I couldn't even, I couldn't even have a conversation <laughs> with the Carter. Here's what I'm saying. You can say somebody who doesn't understand business would understand you continue to lose money every month, muck or father or whatever you say, if this was your goddamn money, 
there's no chance you're continuing to run pay-per-views, but when it's somebody else's money, then you get to sit on your soapbox and say, well, they don't understand entertainment. I understand fucking money. And I understand when you're losing some shit doing it, you don't do it anymore. Do you understand this? I didn't call those shots. Nobody wanted to hear from me. Nobody in TNA management, especially the Carter family, wanted to hear a syllable of what my thoughts were or what I thought they should do. And I certainly didn't call any of those shots. I absolutely fucking agree with you. I wouldn't have run those pay-per-views. I wouldn't have continued running my fucking television show that nobody gave two shits about, which is why they didn't give two shits about Sting and Kurt Angle, because no one cared about the show. Why didn't they care about the show? Because it just sucked. Why did it suck? Partly because of the creative, certainly not because of the talent, but because they were running what everybody had come to expect as a live event experience on a fucking game show set because it was cheap. And they kept thinking, no, 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 no. We don't need to invest in taking the show on the road. There was a ton of resistance. Couldn't get them to do it. When they put their two in the water, if it didn't turn out exactly the way they hoped it wouldn't, they didn't make $200,000 and get a massive return on their investment. They went up, see, it doesn't work because they weren't committed to the fucking product. Eric Bischoff wasn't calling those shots. Do you think if I would have said, hey, everybody, you guys should quit running pay-per-views until you figure out your problem. You know how much attention that would have gotten? Absolutely none. Absolutely none. I'm not, ar- I'm not arguing any of that, but you started this saying, oh, someone who doesn't understand business. Uh, I understand business and I understand you don't continue to do the things that don't make you money. You figure exactly. out exactly. We're you- saying the same thing, dude. Okay. You're just not hearing my point or maybe I'm not articulating it. My point was the reason why it's like the simple question that nobody even asks anymore in any, in, 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 in anything. Nobody asked the question, why is this this way? Why, why, if we have Sting and we have Kurt Angle, why is our television ratings suck? Why does no, why isn't, well, first of all, no one's watching your pay-per-view because nobody's really watching your television show. And the people that are watching your television show don't give a fuck, to be honest. Why? Because you're shooting the fucking show on a game show set. They've got WWE over at that time over here which has set the bar. This is credible over here at WWE. Why is it credible? Because there's an arena full of people on the, at the television, the live shows reinforcing the fact that it's credible because people are having fun because it feels like a party that you want to be a part of. That's why it's working, but we're going to go over here and shoot a fucking wrestling show in a shoebox and expect to get the same return. No, you have to ask the question. Why? No, you, you don't keep doing you don't keep doing the same thing over and over and over again when it's not working. That's called insanity and expecting the outcome to be different. But what you do if you have experience or commitment to an entertainment property is ask the simple fucking question why. And when the answer is right in front of you, change it, fix it, do something about it, commit to it. Remember how easy it was in your 20s? You had so much energy, you could get away with the late night drive throughs. You can even pinch a uh, trouser tent at a moment's notice. Well, that's because you had plenty of testosterone and it's time to get it back. You could get testosterone injections, but that involves awkward doctor visits, expensive medical bills, and the worst part, once you opt for artificial testosterone, you will suppress your body's ability to naturally produce it even more. But isn't that the problem in the first place? 
Before considering that pharmaceutical option, there are ways you can naturally raise your testosterone, and one of the easiest ways is by using Legacy Test Stack from Legacy Sports Nutrition. Test X9 has nine key ingredients clinically proven to support natural testosterone production, and T-Assist is designed to supercharge T-boosting effects with added anti-estrogen compounds. Nick Aldis, the founder of Legacy Sports Nutrition, has been blown away by the feedback that customers have sent in after using the ultimate test stack. Guys are feeling stronger in the gym. They have more energy. And guys in their late 30s have reported morning wood for the first time in years. One even reported becoming a father after four years of trying. No matter what you do, if you're a guy, having optimum testosterone levels is the key to looking, feeling, and performing better. Try the ultimate test stack today, and they're confident you'll love the results. Just go to LegacySupps.com. That's LegacySupps.com, L-E-G-A-C-Y-S-U-P-P-S.com, and the promo code is 83 weeks for 10% off your entire order. That's LegacySupps.com, L-E-G-A-C-Y-S-U-P-P-S.com, and the promo code is 83 weeks to save 10% off. And we thank Nick for sponsoring today's podcast. And in the absence of that commitment, you've got a disaster. You've got a dying product. And yeah, would I have liked to have been in the position to to be able to call those shots? Absolutely. Would things have been dramatically different had I had? Sure. In some ways, it would have been much better. I'm sure I would have fucked some shit up along the way. Part of life, folks. But in the interim, there there would have been a different approach. But there wasn't because I... I had zero in, not only did I have zero influence, it was pretty certain that if I came up with an idea and threw it on the table and it had to, you know, reach, you know, senior management, it would have got shot down because it was my idea. There was a jail food mentality that existed within senior management that they were, first of all, they were all insecure and when I say insecure, they were, some of them were very successful in other walks of life. But when it came to the wrestling business, they knew what they didn't know. And the last thing they wanted to do was have somebody like me exposing it. Hey, let's so talk about that segmented. for a minute. There's, there's a very segmented uh, kind of jail food mentality within senior management. They didn't want to hear from anybody that knew what the fuck they were talking about because it would expose them. Let's talk about some front office people that make the news. There were a few, all few front office cuts last week. Steven Godfrey, who'd been the director of public relations for years, also let go was Al Ovidia probably screwed that up. The vice president of marketing, uh, given how well the company's marketing efforts have been, he was let go. Also let go was Brian Wittenstein, who was described to me as a hard worker, but someone who had a mouth on him and that eventually caught up with him. Uh, shout out to Brian friend of the show. Chat me up. Do you remember, uh, Steven, Al or Brian, any stories about any of those fellows you can share? I don't remember Steven Gottfried, to be honest. Um, I do remember Al Ovidia, uh, worked with Al quite a bit for a relatively short period, of, short period of time. But during that period of time, did work pretty closely with him. I'm trying, I'm struggling now to remember how he came into the equation. I think somehow that was, he came in through Dixie Carter um, or someone else. I don't know. I can't remember. Um, 
had a had a little bit of a track record, positive track record, um, but really thin when it came to the kinds of things necessary for TNA in, in, in a long run, you know, he was one of those marketing people that really wanted to be a creative guy. Right. He was a marketing guy that really wanted to write wrestling. Um, and eh, it, it was short lived. He was a good guy. I liked him. Um, and like I say, he, 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 in terms of credentials, he was fairly well credentialed in other forms of marketing. But when it came to understanding you know, the wrestling product or the audience out of his depth. Uh, Wittenstein. Uh, I, you know, I had a little bit of interaction with, with Brian, not a lot. Um, typically I would really only see Brian, you know, at a television taping. Uh, so I didn't interact with him throughout the course of the week. And when I did, you know, cross paths with him uh, at, television tapings there was you know we weren't doing anything together we weren't conducting any business together so it was all superficial hey how are you kind of shit jimmy yang uh, this is from the observer i love the phrasing here jimmy yang twittered this week again about not being paid for his tv appearance quote seven weeks and still no check somebody called me and said i was being unprofessional not paying someone for a job is unprofessional is this the era where you started to hear that Maybe there were problems and people weren't being paid like they should. Yeah. Bruce could probably go into this much more in depth because Bruce was on the front lines of it and trying to manage it. I wasn't, um, I would hear about it from Bruce or I'd hear about it from talent or I'd read about it on the internet. <laughs> Sorry. I just had to make fun of myself on that internet thing. Um, but yeah, it was becoming more and more commonplace. You know, the, well, the checks are in the mail. You know, well, they were sent from Dallas. I was like, Dallas sent the checks. Bullshit. There was so much bullshit coming out of Dallas. Um, and it was becoming more, more and more consistent. You're hearing a lot of it. And they just flat out lied to people. They just lied to people. Here's uh, something else we should mention. The Eric Young Scott Bayo segment was next. For all the build, this was nothing. Bayo was golfing. Young had to hop the fence. Young approached him and wanted a match with Bayo. Uh, Bayo held up his golf club like it was a weapon. Young then took off his shirt and Bayo insulted him. For some reason, Bayo was running and Young was running. The next thing you know, Young was in a tree jumping off for a cross body on Bayo, and Young counted the three for the pin. Then Young ran out celebrating in his underwear. If Scott Bale's in wrestling, I know one thing. Eric Bischoff was involved. Now, that's not him writing that. That's me saying that. What do you remember about this? We were working. We, meaning Jason Hervey and I, were working. We had a scripted series. Well, we started, we started out with Scott on a reality show, unscripted series called Scott Bale is 45 and single. Yep. Scott was a legendary Horn dog, I mean, and and a very very successful young horn dog in Hollywood. He was legendary, legendary in certain circles in Hollywood. All typical healthy 
you know, stuff that wouldn't get you arrested or me too in today's environment. But let's just say he was extremely active at a very high level. And that was kind of a, you know, it was, it was pretty well known in certain circles, but it wasn't something that was public. So, and again, I, I, you know, I know Scott, you know, I'm, I'm friends with Scott, but I, I don't know him real well, right? Jason Hervey did. Jason Hervey kind of grew up with Scott in Hollywood. Uh, so that relationship was with Scott Bale and Bischoff Hervey Entertainment was because of Jason's relationship. So anyway, we did the first series. Scott Bale was 45 and single. And then it was Scott Bale's 46 and married. Because after the first season, Scott had found love. We did another series, um, a second season, only this time it was following Scott with his new wife. And Scott adjusting and having to change his lifestyle and shedding the baggage from his youth and now entering into a more adult you know, life. So that was a second series. And then that eventually became a scripted series called See Dad Run. And that ran for, I don't know, I think we did 60 or 70 episodes of that, maybe more. So the relationship with Scott was there. Scott was a good sport. He, and again, this is because of his relationship with Jason more so than mine. Scott was a good sport. He'd like to help. He, you know, it sounded like something fun. He'd do it. He, he didn't have a big ego when it came to stuff like this. So I think it was something that Jason pitched him. You know, Eric Young at that point was kind of a comedic character and a great one, by the way. Um, so it was just a scene where we thought, okay, let's get somebody with a little bit of connective tissue to mainstream entertainment. He's willing to get involved. It's a harmless skit. We're not trying to make Scott Bale look like a wrestler. It's a comedic opportunity, so let's just have fun with it. There's nothing more or less than that. Let's uh, let's keep it going here, and let's talk about some other names here. That um, well, we haven't talked a lot about Hulk Hogan. Meltzer writes: Hogan did an appearance billed as his talk show for fans, but it ended up being a pitch to get in a multi-level marketing business. On August 26th in Greensboro, the event drew about 300 people at $10 a head, but there were some who paid a hundred bucks for VIP treatment with Bischoff and Hogan pitching body by V a company that does protein powder and was doing a contest to get in shape and get in on the ground floor as salespeople. Bischoff was said to have done a great job as the MC Bischoff talked about the days of regional television and said it was the way until Vince McMahon put wrestling on cable, which anyone who followed wrestling would know the first true blah, 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 blah. Uh, very few people signed up to market the product. Do you remember this? I, I, I had no idea this was even a thing. Yeah. I remember it a little bit. Um, Hulk has always been kind of a magnet for entrepreneurs for pitches and pitches. Yeah. And it was oftentimes too easy to get Hulk excited about something. You know, I, I think, I think the George Foreman grill <laughs> has, has left scar tissue on Hulk that he's been trying to kind of figure out a way to get rid of ever since. So people that would come to Hulk and, you know, Hulk was smart in the sense that, you know, these people, the, the body by, by V people, I mean, they had a ton of money behind them. They had a ton of money and the people involved with it were highly credible people. 
that had a track record of, of success. So I don't want to make it sound like these are just a couple of yokels that, you know, came out of the swamp outside of Tampa and said, Hey, let's go pitch, you know, Hulk an idea. But Hulk would take a meeting with almost anybody. And you, it wasn't that hard to get Hulk excited about big ideas and big opportunities. So at that period of time, I was helping Hulk, you know, kind of sift through some of these opportunities and try to make sense out of them before he got too involved in them. This was one that kind of came to him around me. And once he got involved, um, you know, I wanted to try to make it work as best I could and support it in any way that I possibly could. So, yeah, I, was, I wasn't involved in Body by V. I wasn't one of their distributors. I had no intention of becoming one. I was there basically as a support mechanism because it was a project that Hulk was working on at the time. And like a lot of other things that were going on in Hulk's life, including television deals and things like that, I was kind of the focal point of a lot of that. So, yeah, I was there. I remember it. I don't remember how it ended up other than not successfully. Right. Uh, it's all I, it's all I got. Autumn is in the air and the pumpkins are in the patch and our friends at manscaped are here to make sure you don't carve your pants, pumpkins when you're grooming. If you know what I'm trying to say here, make sure you're keeping things fresh this fall with the leaders in male grooming and their brand new fourth generation performance package. Boys get ready for cuffing season. Like no other ready to take the leap into fall with manscaped. Join the 2 million men worldwide using manscaped. I go into manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code 83 weeks. Now here's the thing. We all remember the time when we were, um, trying to take care of ourselves down there and uh, we got a little color as they like to say, well, manscaped is here to boost that confidence that that won't happen again. It's time to bundle up with manscapes performance package 4.0. Now inside the package, you'll find the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer the weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer. And that thing is roll tied by the way. You'll also find crop preserver ball deodorant, which I understand Eric is a big fan of the crop reviver toner, which I think Tony Schiavone should probably double up on. And of course the performance boxer briefs. Oh, and by the way, a travel bag to hold all your goodies. First off the new performance package 4.0 includes that awesome new lawnmower 4.0. And if you're looking to cozy up this fall, this trimmer is essential. The fourth generation trimmer from these guys features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. Thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. It also gives you the ability to turn the 4,000 K led spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Plus it's waterproof. Their performance package 4.0 also includes the weed whacker to chop your worst weeds up the top of your nose and your ear. This has been a game changer for me. The nose and ear hair trimmer uses a 9,000 RPM motor powered 360 degree rotary dual blade system. We're talking proprietary skin safe technology, which is going to prevent the nicks, the snags, the tugs, and all your delicate holes seal the deal with manscapes liquid formulations, the crop preserver, the ball deodorant. Everyone knows pumpkin spice lattes and ball deodorant go hand in hand. And then after trimming the pumpkin patch and whacking the leaves, give your balls a boost. Use the old crop reviver manscaped even threw in two free gifts in their performance package. 4.0 the the manscaped boxers. And of course the shed travel bag, 
Get comfy on the home or on the go. One more time, get 20% off plus free shipping with the code 83 weeks at manscaped.com. We're talking 20% off plus free shipping with the code 83 weeks at manscaped.com. Make your balls a priority this fall. Choose Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Uh, let's uh, run a few more uh, news and notes here before we jump into the actual show itself. Um, unfortunately, there's some bad news we got to address here. Quote, Kurt Angle was arrested on September 3rd in Woodstock, Virginia and charged with driving while intoxicated. And he was pulled over by Virginia state troopers who saw him swerving between lanes on I 66. He was taken to the Warren County jail at two 13 AM posted bond and was released at three 31 AM. It's Angle's third similar arrest in recent years. His attorney, Frank Smith issued this statement for him. We understand that Kurt Angle was pulled over last night for a traffic infraction and or offense during the stop. He was asked to submit to a breathalyzer test and pass. Uh, we understand that Kurt will be entering a plea of not guilty in response to any infractions and or offenses. The blood alcohol content, according to Meltzer was uh, 0.091 above the 0.08 legal limit. He took a second test sometime later at the headquarters and was 0.06, which would have been below the legal limit. As we mentioned, unfortunately, this was his third infraction while working with TNA where he was arrested for, uh, DUI or DWI, whatever state you're in. But we know that this is something that has a happy ending. I mean, Kurt got his arms around this, as I like to say, and he's pulled the nose up and, uh, it's a, a another great, happy success story in wrestling. But at this point, there had to be some guys in the office wondering and worrying is Kurt. Okay. Uh, what do you remember of this? Well, I certainly remember it happening. Um, and being concerned for Kurt, I wasn't in the office and I, I don't, I know, you know, it's easy to assume because of the role that I played on TV, that I was actually in the office and a part of management. I only try to remind people because I think people tend to forget that that was not the case, not you necessarily Conrad, but the audience. So my, you know, what, what did I, how did I hear it? Social media. Wow. You know, the same way everybody else did I, because I wasn't in the office. I didn't have an office at the office. Um, I didn't even have a parking place at the office. So I heard about it the same way the general public did. <clears throat> now I would see Kurt obviously at TV. Kurt was in a lot of pain at the time. A lot, a lot. And I think Kurt would be okay. If I, when I say this, um, it was obvious on occasions, not all of the time, that Kurt was taking prescribed medicine. But when you get somebody that's on painkillers, it's it's not that hard to recognize when you've been around it enough. And it was obvious to me on occasions, sometimes regular occasions that Kurt was in a ton of pain and was medicating. So did it surprise me at all to read what I read when it happened? Absolutely not. Concern me, but in terms of how management reacted to it, I don't know. Let's talk about, I know how, I know how Dixie reacted to it. And this is where, you know, I know I get really animated and pissed off 
a lot of times when we talk about TNA, and again, it's, it's just because it was such a missed opportunity. The, the answer was right there in the palm of their hand. It would have been so easy, but ego and insecurity got in the way. That's always, that's the only thing that ever pisses me off about TNA. I'm grateful for the opportunity that I had in TNA in many, many respects. There were a lot of high spots for me. On a personal level, I got to work with my son. I, I got to help my son's dream of working with his dad in the wrestling business. I got to help facilitate that dream of his. My son got to work with Kurt Angle. My son got to work with AJ Styles, with Bobby Roode, with Samoa Joe, with Ric Flair. Come on. That's pretty cool. How can pretty I crazy. not be grateful for that? Yeah. So I don't want to make it sound like every experience I had with TNA was a negative one because that wasn't true. I have friends today that I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have today had it not been for my relationship or my opportunity with TNA. I want to make that clear because sometimes we get on these subjects and the nature of the questions and the things that, you know, people say elicit a pretty animated response, but I just want to make it clear. It wasn't all bad. And one of the things that I, that I'm grateful for and having gotten to know Dixie on a, on a different level other than business was that she genuinely cared for people. It wasn't bullshit. She wasn't posturing. She is a very, very caring woman. And so is her husband, Serge. They're good people. And Dixie was committed to helping Kurt. Just want to make that clear. Let's talk about, uh, something that needed a little help, which was TV at the time. Next came one of those things that is so bad about TNA because it's exactly why in a nutshell, nobody cares about any of their storylines. All the women came out together. Eric Bischoff came out holding hands with Tracy Brooks. Bischoff talked about how proud he was of the women, how they drew good ratings and had good matches. And then they did the switch saying at the end of the day, they're still women and they can't keep their mouths shut. He said he was appointing a new vice president of the knockouts division and teased. It would be Brooks. And in the build, they insinuated that Brooks <clears throat> did Bischoff three times to get the job, but still Bischoff gave the job to Karen angle swerve, bro. He didn't say swerve, bro. That was me. Um, yeah, they can't keep their mouth shut. Boy, that didn't age well. Let's move on uh, <laughs> before we get to no surrender. No, no, well, that's, no, I'm just having fun with you. Come on. Sometimes silence can be the most powerful statement one can make. No argument for me. Uh, no. Uh, oh yeah. Did it age well? No. Is it kind of embarrassing looking back on it? Yeah. But everybody was a very willing participant in the story. Nobody felt uncomfortable. Frankie didn't feel uncomfortable. Tracy didn't feel uncomfortable. Nobody, nobody was asked to do something that they were, at least to my knowledge, we're, we're uncomfortable doing. It was a fun, tongue-in-cheek, adult-themed, you know, storyline. <clears throat> um, as far as Karen Angle goes, or Karen Jarrett now. Tremendous performer. The most unacknowledged and underrated on-camera performer in the last 20 years. Wow. She was maybe 15. She was 
phenomenal. And we were looking for ways. Now, again, I want to let Jeff, you know, get into the detail on this. Here's what I knew, right? Because again, I wasn't in the inner circle of TNA management. I wasn't even in the outer circle. Um, I was persona non grata, although they were stuck with me. That's probably best sums up my relationship. So there were a lot of issues between Dixie and Karen and Jeff and the Carters. I don't know any of that history other than it was bad, bad, bad history. So there was Jason Harvey and I wanted Karen on TV so badly because in many respects, she was one of the most powerful characters on the roster, not as an entering performer, but as a, as a character in a story device, she was just off the charts. Good. But because of whatever drama that occurred behind the scenes, there were people that didn't even want Karen on the set. Mm. There were senior management, not going to name names on this one. I'll let Jeff do that if he feels it's appropriate. That they didn't even want her showing up at TV, despite the fact that she was Jeff's wife. Right? It was it was hostile, and Jason and I didn't give two shits. We just wanted good TV, and she could deliver. And we had to navigate that. And there was a lot of ups and downs. And so I'm going to be okay. And then boom, she cannot be on TV. She is not allowed to be on TNA television ever again. The mandate from Dallas. And then we'd find a way to work around it. So it it was a tumultuous time. But yeah, I was excited to get Karen in there. Let's talk about the reaction for this pay per view. We're finally here. Uh, We're probably going to hum through the pay per view. I hope so. Well, we have to hum through it, Eric, because the reaction from the readers of the uh, Wrestling Observer was light, to say the least. 67.7% voted thumbs down, which was 32 people. 25% gave it a thumbs up, which means 12 votes. And four human beings gave it a middle, thumbs in the middle for 8%. This is uh, a loaded show, a lot of talent, and nobody's watching. Uh, Meltzer would say, no surrender was yet another sad night with a pay-per-view filled with generally average matches with less than average heat and little heat for a main event as you would ever see. The show featured what was likely an all-time record uh, for pay-per-view of five different spitting or spraying gunk in people's eyes, including three finishes. Oh, it just gets worse from there. Let's just jump into the matches. Jesse Sorensen's going to pin kid cash seven minutes and 54 seconds. It's a late addition because the timing out of the show, they realized they had the extra time. According to Meltzer, this was billed as a number one contender for the X division championship. Dave would write that cash carried the match. Well, he's a real pro as for Sorensen. He's clearly an athlete, but he's very green. Uh, cash chopped the hell out of him and kicked him in the chest hard. Sorensen got the win with a reverse suplex slam two and a half stars. Sorensen just debuted with you guys here in July. It's getting a big push. And now it's a pay-per-view win. Of course, kid cash is the grizzled veteran. Uh, I like kid cash. Don't remember a ton about Jesse Sorensen, uh, and his initial T and a push here, but clearly somebody's high on him. If he's getting a win on pay-per-view just a couple of months after. Yeah, I'm not, I, I remember Jesse. Um, I'm not, I'm not clear on where he came from. 
meaning um, I think he may been out of um, Bubba and Devon's wrestling school. You nailed it. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, that's where a lot of that really young talent was coming from. And we were high on him. I mean, he did have, uh, it looked like he had some great potential, but he was, you know, greener than goose shit, man. He was right out of, right out of wrestling school. So uh, not a lot of experience. Let's hit the next one here. Bully Ray is going to beat James storm by DQ in the bound for glory series. That's 11 minutes and 46 seconds. Uh, Meltzer didn't love it. Gave it a star and a half. Um, the referee is Jackson James. We should mention that the finish would see storm try and spit beer into Ray's eyes, but Ray ducks, it goes into the eyes of the referee, uh, Jackson James, that kid's got a future. Uh, storm once again, put on the arm bar and Ray was tapping furiously. James recovered and called for the bell. Everyone figured out storm had won, but James instead disqualified storm for spitting beer, too much stalling and a terrible finish. Although when they were wrestling, it was fine. Store and a half, uh, star and a half. You know, you got to, uh, I mean, bully Ray's a big part of TNA. Obviously so is James storm, but for it to get a store and a, a star and a half. And sort of a silly finish with the, the whole spitting beer. I don't know. feels like it could have been more. Let's say you. Possibly. I mean, I'd have to go back and look at it, but again, that's, that's Dave Meltzer's opinion. It doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, this is a guy that gets high on the smell of his own fart. So oh. who, who, you know, anybody that said, well, Dave said this and you know, means that it actually was true. You're right there with him. I, I don't know. I'd have to look at it. You know, do, do, do I like that kind of finish? Absolutely not. Um, but I have to go back and look at it. You know, probably wasn't as bad as Dave made it sound because Dave is Dave. Okay. Got it. Winner pinned Mickey James, eight and a half minutes to win the knockouts title. James comes out in a wonder woman outfit, finished saw love, hold James and winner spit the blood, but James ducked and it went into love's eyes. That's the second time we've seen that. There we go. Hey, Hey, if it didn't work once, it'll for sure not work the second time. Well, check this out. Hebner then checked on love and winter spit a second batch of blood into James face and Pender. So we got three spitters and two matches star and a quarter. Boy, this is just less than awesome. The next match is Mexican America, uh, retaining the TNA titles, beating uh, Pope and Devon in nine minutes and 44 seconds. Um, Meltzer gave it a star and a half. The next match, Matt Morgan is going to pin Samoa Joe. That's a tough one. Matt Morgan pins Samoa Joe in 11 minutes and 28 seconds. Meltzer says the first half of this match was great. They came out fast and aggressive, and I thought they were doing a short match. I can see why people are high on Morgan because he's so big and so coordinated and agile. Commentary was real strong here, and for much of this show, as there were a lot of submissions being used and Tanay used Taz as a submission expert and Taz knows his stuff. They slowed up late in the match. Joe used a belly to belly and then a choke. Morgan made the ropes. Joe went to spear Morgan, but Morgan moved. Joe actually slowed down before hitting the turnbuckles. Morgan then hit the carbon footprint for the win. The pin came out of nowhere and the crowd didn't pop because of that two and three quarter stars. Samoa Joe, of course, we know is one of the best wrestlers TNA ever had. Matt Morgan feels like a project of what could have been, uh, 
I am a fan of Matt Morgan and totally buy into what you guys were doing here. In hindsight, we know it didn't work out. The question to you is why don't you think it worked out? Why wasn't Matt Morgan a bigger star? He checked a lot of boxes. He did, but the most important box in, in terms of what didn't work out for Matt, he just could never find his character on the mic. He was somewhat awkward in the ring. Yes, he was big. He was super impressive. He probably tried doing things that took him out of his character. You know, tried to be a little more athletic than someone his size should. Occasionally, that was part of it. Uh, Because I think Matt felt like in order to be credible, he had to be more than just a big man. But sometimes when you're as big as a guy like Matt, and you're in the ring with people that are significantly smaller than you, and in this case, Joe doesn't fall into that category, but the rest of the people you work with, you got to be careful about that. And, and I think sometimes Matt tried to do more than he probably should have from a presentation perspective in the ring. On the mic, just never connected. And I think that was a big part of it. He never really knew and I used, I used to have a lot of conversations with Matt because I, I, Matt and I got along really well. And we'd have a lot of conversations at TV. And he would run different ideas by me because he was always looking for a solution. He was looking, he, he was looking for the, the reason why something wasn't working and then how to fix it. And I, I admired that in Matt. But he just never really found his own character. You know, he was always, not to steal something from Bruce, but he was always trying to be a version of what he thought might work as opposed to finding what worked for him and what felt real and organic. He was always being somebody else or attempting to be somebody else. And he was just so big. You know, it's one of the challenges with being as big as a guy like Matt. And, you know, Big Show had the same issue. Paul White has the same issue. You know, how do you get heat on a guy that big without that guy losing his credibility, without resorting to the typical, you know, two-on-one, three-on-one, spitting beer in the eye, whatever, um, which, which gets very old after you see it once or twice. It's tough with a guy that big, and, and Matt couldn't find that solution. And a lot of it had to do with his inability, his lack of ability on the mic. It was very forced. His mic work was very, very forced. Do you think you could have put a mouthpiece with him and it would have, he could have been a. No, cause you still end up with the same problem. How do you get heat on him? Yeah. You get sympathy for him without going to the well and doing the same type of thing over and over. How do you get sympathy on a guy that's so fucking big and impressive? It's hard. And if you can't get sympathy on a character especially a babyface character. Yeah. I was going to say, he's got to be a heel, right? He's got to be a heel. And in order to be a heel, what do you have to do? Eddie Guerrero, Eddie, throw coffee in his face. Oh, wrong. Lie, lie, cheat and steal. Yes. And, and that takes away from the obvious. It just, it's tough. It's not impossible, but it's tough. And we never really hit that right note with Matt. Bobby Roode is up next. He's going to beat Gunner in 11 minutes and 39 seconds. Looks like it might be uh, one of the better matches on the show. It gets three stars. Um, 
Gunner, we know is doing big things in WWE these days. Both of these guys are WWE stars these days. Meltzer said it was a good match and I uh, thought the crowd heard it a little bit, but still, uh, two very capable performers, uh, bell to bell. What'd you think of this one? Loved it. Gunner was a great talent. Still is. Saw a lot of potential in Gunner. A lot. Did some really cool things with him in Aces and Eights. That was a character. And I think the character that he has now in WWE is very, very similar. One could say a derivative, I believe. I haven't seen Gunner in a while on TV, but I believe the last time I saw him, I went, huh. all he needs is an Aces and Ace passes, and he's there. The whole biker theme, Sons of Anarchy kind of vibe that ultimately worked really well for Gunner and others. Um, but yeah, big, big fan of Gunner. Amazing talent. Great guy to be around. Very, very positive. Incredibly professional. Um, hope he's doing well. Next up, we see Austin Aries pin Brian Kendrick in 13 minutes and 32 seconds to win the X title. Aries referred to himself as the spectacular vascular vegetarian, as well as the old standby, the greatest man alive quote, Aries was really good here. He moves like a superstar. And if he was six feet tall, he'd be a major star. This was the best match on the show. And Aries was probably the best worker on this show, but the crowd was not very into him. They've killed the X division. And while it's good to put them on late to give the title prestige until the title has meaning, I don't know that it can even happen today. It's just tough. The finish was Aries using a low kick followed by a brain buster three and a quarter stars for whatever reason, Austin Aries has become uh, sort of controversial in more recent years, Eric, but uh, you know what, before we get into Austin, Brian Kendrick, I think we both agree a phenomenal in-ring performer. Uh, a free spirit, if you will, but I dig it. I dig Brian. I, stuff. I absolutely dug him even off screen. He was just so unique and it wasn't a gimmick. It was, I mean, he's a very, very cre super creative, by the way, he's like one of those kind of savant type of people, you know, he's cool as shit and, and so I won't say fun to be around, but so interesting to be around. I loved his work in the ring. Absolutely loved it. Kind of hard to make it connect broadly because he was so unique in a positive way that it was hard to get the audience to relate to him or even kind of really understand his character, his character. We probably could have done a much better job helping that along than we did. I think, you know, more, more vignettes, more kind of catching, um, catching him outside and away from the arena would have given us the ability to kind of better understand Brian's unique point of view, which would have helped him a lot. Didn't do that for a lot of reasons. Resources being one of them. Commitment, commitment being the other. Austin Aries, man, I was a huge fan of Austin. He was a handful. He was dealing with him could be tough. Give us some context to that. Very strongly opinionated, which is okay. That's not unusual, but getting him to see 
a different perspective or the other side of the coin, whatever you want to call it, creatively. He was stubborn. Sum it up. Incredibly stubborn. But he was also incredibly committed. Sometimes they go hand in hand. But he, he'd get worked up. He'd get emotional in conversations. And he'd spend, you'd spend more time kind of talking him down from the ledge and trying just to get him to manage it himself in a conversation so that you could get to a creative kind of compromise or solution or better idea. But because he was such an emotional person, um, you spent a lot of time kind of getting through that process in order to get to what you needed to get to. But I dug it. I, I don't mind that. I'll go through that with a guy whose really goal is to be as good as he can be and not necessarily being selfish. There's a difference. If someone's, you know, position in argument or debate is all about what's best for me, I got zero tolerance for that. I'm not going to spend any calories on that conversation. I don't care. Go do whatever the fuck you want to do. Go run it by your agent. Go talk to Dixie. I don't care. Do whatever you want to do. I'm not spending any time on that. But when you get somebody that's so committed and, and passionate, sometimes their ego gets in the way, but you got to fight through that. You got to work through that to get to the good stuff. And Austin was almost, he was a perfectionist. And sometimes that got in his way, but I dug him. And I just, he really was committed to being the best he could be. He was fun to work with. Challenging, but fun. I hope uh, we haven't seen the last of him. I hope he, uh, He's a brilliant dude, man. You got to get through his, you got to get through his personality. His personality can be abrasive. It it can be, but if you can just not let that bother you and just get through it, you know, it's like the price of admission, (laughs) just pay the price of admission and allow yourself to not be offended by it or get defensive about it and then get to the good stuff. He's a really, really smart cat. Bobby Roode is going to pin Bully Ray in 12 and a half minutes to win the Bound for Glory series. Meltzer would say this was weird as the crowd was hot for this match until it started. Roode got a big reaction. Roode came off the top with a blockbuster for a near fall. Bubba got a near fall with a Bubba bomb. Ray missed a splash and Roode hit a spine buster for the pin. Flat finish because Roode has used the spine buster forever and it's never been a finish. Two and a half stars. The baby face push here for rude is real. And bully is such a good heel. Did you think Bobby rude could be the top star here? Uh, top star, maybe not the, but, uh, a top star. Absolutely. And to this day, I'm not sure why Bobby isn't in a better position than he is. Listen to Bobby's promos. You put a microphone in Bobby in front of Bobby. And you believe what you hear. He sounds authentic. It feels natural and real to him. His work rate is exceptional. I just, I don't, I'm not sure why he's not a bigger star than he is. He's a pro. He is easy to work with. He holds himself to a very high standard. Um, I don't, I don't get it. And he's got range. He can be a funny guy. If you need a 
a little bit more of a, you know, I always use Kurt Angle as the best example of this. There are some people, you know, and, and Kurt Angle was probably the best of the best, but, you know, there's some people that if you need them on Monday to be like a legitimate killer and the most dangerous person in the venue, Kurt Angle could do that. But on Tuesday, if you need him to be a comedic character and, and have it work and be entertaining, he could do that on Tuesday. Just give him 12 hours notice. He'll deliver equally well in both types of presentations. Bobby Roode doesn't have quite the range that Kurt Angle has, but he's got it, and he's got the potential. Isn't that interesting? I was talking to somebody the other day. And I'm going to go completely off script here, by the way. Imagine that. <laughs> Shout out to ad-free shows. Yes, this is sounds like me shilling. I'm not. I spent a good chunk of yesterday calling some of our family members over at adfreeshows.com, people that subscribe. And I had some great conversations. And I just want to say it's one of the things that I really enjoy about participating in ad-free shows is you get to have conversations with people and learn about people who are part of the family. And you realize that that's a really, really smart, entertaining, just great people that, that are part of it. And I just want to say thank you for that. And one of the conversations, I had several really, really good but one of it was about one of the conversations were about, you know, what, why, why did it? Not, we weren't talking about Bobby Roode in particular, but you know, why some people just don't cut through, and it, it's an it's an intangible. It's just that one it factor that somebody recognizes and sees. And we we're talking about in this particular individual. I don't want to embarrass him here, but he, you know, he said, "What, what, if you had to do things all over again?" which I normally don't like those conversations, but you know, what's the one thing that you would do differently? And I kind of turned that around and kind of re reframed the question a little bit and said, look, there's, you know, I, I don't regret anything. I'm grateful for everything that's happened in my life, good and bad, because I've experienced the good and I've learned from the bad. And to me, there's no difference. Um, I don't spend my time regretting or wishing I would have done things differently I recognize that had I done th things differently, outcomes would have been different. But I don't regret things because I learned from them. But he said, but in today's world, how would you apply what you've learned in terms of managing people? And I said, one of the things that I've learned that I know now and that I do now, that I didn't do when it would have made a bigger difference, was I don't necessarily look for the best qualified candidate. I look for the candidate with the most potential. And the reason is that when you see somebody like Bobby Roode, believe it, I'm going to tie it all back around. When you look at a character like Bobby Roode or a performer like Bobby Roode, and you see all of that, is he right now the best person to put into a position? Maybe not. Does he have the potential? There you go. To be in the best to be a person in that best position? Absolutely. 
And here's why I like people that have the potential sometimes more than the people that are the obvious candidate is because when you develop that potential and the audience sees it grow, they invest in it more. And by the way, that talent becomes more inspired and it doesn't matter if the talent is a salesman or saleswoman, uh, a truck driver, whatever, any walk of life. I think this is true. If I have two candidates sitting in front of me and this person's the most qualified, but I see the potential in this person here, although it's maybe untapped, I'm going to take this person because number one, from a, from, from a loyalty perspective, that person is going to be loyal to you for life more often than not. Um, whereas this person is more or less going to be temporary. So I, I see that in Bobby. I think Bobby has got so much potential and it just hasn't been tapped into yet. Hasn't been given a, the right opportunity to grow. Yes, they put Bobby in some great spots, but that's not the same thing. There's something there with Bobby still at the stage of his career that I think should be discovered and nurtured because he has so much more to offer than we're seeing. Let's talk about uh, something else that happened on this show. And then we'll get to the main event. This is kind of topical because of, well, when we're recording this quote, then came the best thing on this show. Jeremy Borash started talking about nine 11 being 10 years ago and how everyone at TNA sends their best wishes to everyone who was affected. He then brought out Rosita and then said her real name was Thea Trinidad. And he brought up how she lost her father in the world trade center when she was 10 years old at the time. She talked about how her father was her inspiration. She talked about how horrible it was, but that in reality, it never gets easier because every day he's still missing from the dinner table. She said how she was an amateur wrestler and wanted to be a pro wrestler, but because he had children and needed to raise a family, he couldn't do it. She talked about how her mother never wanted her to be a wrestler, but her father encouraged it, even taught her the headlock. But she said today had been a hard day and she was crying in the back. I know you got to know her a little bit in TNA and you've talked about how much you thought of her on the show here before Eric, but unfortunately the day before the 20 year anniversary of nine 11 WWE returned to New York city in Madison square garden for the first time post COVID. And it was a huge show, a monumental Friday night, SmackDown Brock Lesnar would return to the program, et cetera, et cetera. And as the rumor in innuendo goes, she was supposed to be featured on that show, but her segment was cut for time. And I think a lot of fans remember this moment from TNA here, 10 years ago, and we're looking forward to her being to do that perhaps on a bigger platform, not a TNA pay-per-view that only a handful of people would see, but on Fox and Madison square garden. And it didn't happen. Now, you and I weren't there. We don't know why it didn't happen. We can't speak to that, but you were there the first time that the wrestling world learned this story. What do you remember about this moment? 10 years ago, at no surrender 2011. I remember talking to her, Zelina. Yeah. I remember talking to her backstage early that day 
I never, <clears throat> I think at that time I may have had some conversations with her, you know, in passing again, you know, context. I wasn't in the office. I didn't deal with office things at TV. I would show up the night before drive over to the production meeting for thing in the morning, about nine 30, 10 o'clock by noon or one o'clock. Um, I, you know, grab a bite to eat and catering. And at the time at TNA catering was outside, um, in between sound stages, picnic tables, you know, kind of covered out of the sun and all that. And, you know, I would interact with some of the talent there, but by two or three o'clock in the afternoon, now we're getting to work, you know, we're doing pre-tapes, we're, you know, doing whatever needed to be done. And everybody's pretty much busy talents laying out their matches. So it wasn't like I had a ton of time just to hang out with people, but I had been noticing the, uh, um, over the weeks and, and loved her, her work when I had seen of it at that point. And she was always, you know, a bubbly, friendly, outgoing, not necessarily to me because I was often remote. You know, I was either in my trailer or in an office. But when I did see her out interacting with other people, she was always very up and cheerful. And I didn't know her story. I didn't know it at all until that day. And I, you know, I approached her and I said, are you okay? You know, can I help you with anything? Is there anything you need? And she proceeded to tell me her story. And I, I cried. It touched me. And this was before you know, she went out and talked about it on TV. I was like, wow, this is, this is a special girl. Yeah. Woman. Yeah. Um, and I, I won't say I bonded with her, but she gained so much respect from me. And in that moment that I became a huge fan of hers from that point forward, still am to this day. She's a very, she's a, she's a good person. Let's talk about our main event. We're finally here. Kurt Angle is going to retain the TNA title in a three-way over Mr. Anderson and sting in 15 minutes and 27 seconds. Meltzer would say this was just sad, not because of the work of any of the three, but because how badly all three guys, two legends and another guy who can be annoying at times, but is still talented have been undermined as far as people caring about them. As noted, the crowd was as dead as you'll ever see for a title match pay-per-view main event. I can get nobody caring about Anderson with all of his turns. Sting's been used too much because legends are best served in and out a special guest, not as the base of a weekly product, but still sting is a real legend as is angle. The crowd didn't react to anything until angle did a spot where he German suplexed both guys at the same time. And even then it only appeared like 5% reacted big and the rest didn't sting with the scorpion Deathlock on Anderson. But Angle recovered, came in, and gave Sting the Olympic slam from that position. No reaction to the kick out. He gave Anderson the Olympic slam, and once again, no reaction. Anderson used the mic check on Angle, who kicked out at the last second. Sting used the Scorpion Death Drop on Anderson, but Angle broke up the pin and pulled Sting out of the ring. He whipped Sting into the guardrail, and then Hogan sprayed something in Sting's eyes. Sting was blinded, but somehow made it into the ring. He hooked referee Brian Hebner in the scorpion death drop, but angle kicked sting low and gave him the Olympic slam for the pin. Why you use the main event finish four times earlier in the show is beyond me star and a quarter in hindsight, maybe 
putting the nine 11 segment right before the main event wasn't the best positioning because it was a sobering real moment. And it, I think it had value. I'm not arguing that, but maybe that hurt the reactions of a, in the scheme of things, not all that important. You know, sometimes we, we, uh, we understand that, um, suspension of disbelief is really important to wrestling. And when you have something that's so real, like her testimony, and then you follow it up with guys painted faces, trying to win a championship that's scripted. It doesn't resonate, but I think the larger issue here is something that you've talked about a lot. It's the location. It's the crowd. It's the environment. It's not what's happening in the ring. It's the emotional investment from those who are supposed to be responding to it. And what's old is new again, because in this very same building these days in 2021, AEW just did tapings there in the last 10 days or so, Eric. So let's talk about AEW in a moment, but first, what do you remember of the match and how it's sort of wrestling one Oh one, whatever's important in the main event can't be done in the undercard. But it was, it was, and I, I think the bigger, the, the biggest issue was, and I never even thought about this till I heard you kind of laying it out, having that segment with Tia and telling her story sucked the emotion out of that room. At least the type of emotion you would want going into a main event like this. Yeah. It was too, it was too real. It was too, it was so heartfelt. It, I wished it would have happened in retrospect listening to, cause I forgot all about it, to be honest, but I could picture it very easily once you got into it. Um, <clears throat> if that would have been done as part of a package earlier on in the show with something celebratory at the end of it, something meaningful out of it. And it would, could have easily been done. Then I think it would have been added value to the show, but positioning it the way it was and producing it the way it was produced would have brought another tear to my eye. That's not what you want going into a main event. So I absolutely say if there's a hundred reasons why, excuse me, if a hundred percent, if there's a hundred percent of a reason why something didn't work, I would attribute 75% of that hundred to that segment that preceded it. Yeah. I'd attribute the other 25% to the fact that half of the people that were there for that pay-per-view didn't really follow wrestling. They were park tourists. They were just happened to be there and it was going on. Probably didn't know anything about the story. Half of them knew anything about the characters. The other half of that audience, half and half, 60, 40, 70, 30, whatever. Um, the other significant portion of that audience audience were people that are the same people that show up at every single taping. And that's not the, that's not the audience you want, especially for a pay-per-view. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. AEW is using this soundstage again, but they're selling tickets and they sold out fast. Yep. Is that going to make a difference? Sure. Let's see what that looks like two years from now. Everything that AEW is doing right now is new and fresh and they've done a great job. It's fair. Let's see what it looks like 
six, let's have this conversation six, let's write it down six months from now. Let's look at that taping and let's see how many tickets are selling and let's see what the energy is. And I'm not predicting it's going to fail, by the way. I, I think TNA's done enough things, or excuse me, AEW's done enough right things um, so far to suggest to me that they're going to continue doing correct things, smart things. But let's, we don't know. It's all new, right? Everything's new. Still got that new car smell. Let's see what happens a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, four years from now. When, okay, been there, done that. We'll see. Clearly. Well, well, we'll see next week because we've got something pretty special. You know, we've, um, we've been doing some fun stuff this year on 83 weeks. And I think next week is going to be something that's going to have a lot of people talking. I don't want to spill the beans because we haven't recorded it yet, but as you and I are recording right now, we will be recording it tomorrow. So stay tuned for a very special 83 weeks next week. We'll be back for the first show of October, uh, which will be Halloween havoc 1994. And what a story that was. It's the Ric Flair retirement match. So many celebrities are involved. There's a cage match against Hulk Hogan. You don't want to miss it. The week after that bound for glory, 2011, we'll pick up where we left off here with no surrender 2011. Then we're going to do a very special watch along from October of 1996. When we revisit nitro, this is where we see the debut of the crow sting. So much good stuff coming your way. You don't want to miss it. Uh, follow us on Twitter. If you haven't already at 83 weeks. You get all these shows early and ad free and Eric, you just did a a very special bonus piece of content called locked and loaded over at adfreeshows.com. And from what I understand, we're going to be doing a, a watch along for Halloween havoc 96 next month. Adfreeshows.com is the place to be, right? God, it was fun. Did you, you, you probably didn't get to see locked and loaded. I had so much fun doing that. I mean, I entertained myself. I was laughing my ass off the whole time. I had so much fun. And here's the, here's why, because, you know, I don't know how many people we had joining us, 40, 45, 46 people, whatever it was, but everybody, everybody was such good sports. They participated in the show. I mean, I was, I was doing fired back segments and bits on on the people that, you know, joined us and they were such great sports about it. They couldn't wait to jump in and, and, and fire off at me and, and, you know, throw shit my way. They, you know, gave me an opportunity to fire back. It was all in good spirit. It was so much fun. I literally, I was disappointed when it was over. Cause I told Lauren in the beginning, I said, okay, I got to keep this to an hour. Cause I got stuff I've got to get done yet tonight and all that. So I thought, oh, an hour should be good. Fuck, an hour went by in about 15 seconds. It was just so much fun. And I, and I told Lauren, well, uh, let's do another one in two weeks. So, yeah, I'm going to do, you know, watch along and all that. But I'm also going to do another Locked and Loaded because I just, I don't know if everybody else had as much fun as I did, but I had the best time of all. So I want to do it again quick. I want to mention too, you know, when, when we're saying, Hey, there were 30 or 40 guys on there. That's another perk of being a top guy. You know, we're on the heels of a big top guy weekend where we had all of our hosts, you know, do a live stage show and some bonus content. You got to play with the big gold belt and get your picture made with the butterfly robe. And you got to meet some of your favorite uh, podcast hosts, but we had one surprise after another. 
We did rebel karaoke and like half the freaking roster from AEW showed up. Uh, of course we had a very special surprise the next day. We had Jim Ross on stage and it wasn't a regular grilling Jr. He was joined by Jerry, the King Lawler. Uh, we had Arn, but it wasn't your typical Arn episode. He was joined by FTR where they talked about tag team wrestling. Uh, who could forget when we had Tony Schiavone on stage and we brought out David Crockett and you got your picture made with David and the actual NWA tag team titles, just one surprise after another. Maybe the most surprising to me is that we were able to get Scott Demore and Jeff Jarrett in the same room together for the first time since they faced off in court. That's real. Uh, but it happened at top guy weekend, but I think the biggest surprise for everyone was that night we watched a little bit of fall brawl, 1996 and the literal biggest surprise big show. Paul white was there. And so was sting. Now this wasn't something you could buy a ticket to. This was something you had to be a member of adfreeshows.com to come participate in. And you also get to uh, be interactive with Eric and Jr and Kurt and everybody else. It pays to be a top guy. And Eric, I'm, I'm happy to say we have, uh, we've landed a city for our big top guy weekend in 2022, make plans to join us, cruise over, check it out. Adfreeshows.com. And, uh, remember if you're a top guy, you're going to be joining us. I don't want to say where yet, but it's going to be the best wrestling weekend ever. And I heard that over and over in Chicago. Didn't you, Eric? I did. And still do, you know, a lot of the people that showed up on, on, um, Locked and loaded last week, uh, we're at, um, top guy weekend. And, you know, again, I, I know I sound like a broken record, but you know, when I was there, you know, Mrs. B and I went and Mrs. B interacts with a lot of people over at freeshows.com now she's got her own list of friends that she interacts with, but you know, I call him man bun. I don't even know what his real name was, but great guy. Um, Great guy. And another one, I mean, this was an example of what happened on Locked and Loaded. I'm up there on stage and he immediately starts rattling me or trying to, you know, he's throwing shit my way. And, but it was all in fun and damn. And now he's like, you know, I saw him over at Locked and Loaded the other day and couldn't wait to, to have fun with him again. It's just a great experience, not only for the people that subscribe, but I'm sure, and I'll speak for myself. It's just very, very rewarding. Check it out. It's adfreeshows.com and we'll be back back next week. Easy for me to say with a very special 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. It can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late to find yourself at a railway crossing, waiting for a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not even there, you may feel a bit tempted to try and sneak across the tracks. Well, don't ever to the naked eye trains often appear to be further away and moving slower than they are and they can't stop quickly even if the engineer hits the emergency brakes right away it can take a train over a mile to stop over a mile to stop by that time it's too late and the result is a potentially deadly crash the point is you can't know how quickly the train will arrive the train can't stop quickly Even if it sees you, it ends in disaster. And if the signals are on, the train is on its way. And you just need to remember one thing. Stop. Trains can't. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, 
it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.